<laughs> All right. I'm at the Red House with Cachavelli Morrison, my good friend and fellow local musician. So uh, we were just starting to get into a conversation about recent gigs and how our well-being is and what's on our minds. <laughs> I should say we have great conversations, and let's just put the pressure on from the beginning that this is going to be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> See if we're on our game. Yeah. Um, I always say the awkward thing. I so I did that the other night. I feel, and I'm, and then I'm like, oh, I always say the awkward thing. Why did I just do that? <laughs> but it's like I have this thing in myself where I have to speak to whatever I'm experiencing. Hmm. Like I want to be so authentic that I'm gonna say the thing that will even embarrass myself because I hate hiding anything. I'm just like so over it. I just think it's, I think growing up in the 80s, there was just this like feeling of, that I took on that I had to show that everything was all together, that everything was as I planned. Mm -hmm. And I just feel kind of in, I've just been in rebellion of that. I don't know, especially lately, where I'm just like, gonna say the thing that um, is the absolute truth. Um, so I felt like I let that the other night a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was good to play. We just played as a trio and I haven't been playing much. Um, it felt really good to play and be my sloppy, messy self in a way. Um, and that feels like a rebellion and that feels like something I'm interested in like naming, mm -hmm. um, I really love creating spaces lately where, you know, people can say and name what's actually going on. Like, yeah, I'm feeling some anxiety right now. Um, uh, wow, a few seconds ago I said this, and now I'm feeling shame about it. Like, I'm, I'm just really um, drawn to that kind of radical honesty right now. So on stage, it's a little, afterwards, I'm like, was that, is that okay that I did that? Um, but yeah, I just think that's where we are in our healing as a culture. Like, I think there's still a lot, especially once you have kids and a family, that I feel like there's this pressure to, to not name what's going on. So I've been I'm super transparent, kind of hopelessly transparent, but I feel like I've reached a new level of transparency mm. and I'm interested in that. You know what I mean? I do. I think, I think it's really interesting. Um, I think because I, what I noted, I, what I, I think I'm starting to realize more and more that something I really take issue with is, um, maybe, I don't know if it's like self-deception or if it's, uh, I think it's, contradictions or something like that when people like really inhabit like let two contradicting contradicting spirits kind of inhabit their their being or something uh because that's like a really visible fight and when we think of artists i think we think just really generically speaking about people who might be prone to like have cynical ideas about what uh what marketing is and like what manipulation of audiences and stuff like that is and like mind control like those things but yet we often do those things by promoting only 
this like really perfect version of our persona, mm-hmm. like as artists, like everything's fucking perfect all the time. Everything's exactly as we want it to be. Everything's in our control and we're grateful and humble and all these things. It's like, that is, that is not the complete experience of the artist. And I really can't stand what we do with this idealistic s- space with social media and also with performance that makes it seem like we don't have any negative parts to us or something. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that the more we're transparent with the struggle and like, wow, I did that. Maybe I'm having some doubt and shame about that. The more we give permission to everyone else to be authentic and to also really speak their voices and like, you don't need to do this perfectly. So I've been surrounding myself by women and really um, passionate about helping them speak their voices, speak anything they've been holding back or create something they've been holding back. Like um, just really own like what's your desire and putting it out there. And at least in my own experience, I had to get to the point where I was, I wanted it so badly that the the desire for it um, was bigger than any fear of embarrassing myself or humiliating myself. And so I just, feel like I'm giving permission to them like you don't have to do this perfectly like this is going to be messy and you're not going to get it right and that's okay I would rather um have had you know my grandmother my great-grandmother my great-great-grandmother do that messy and me have whatever that was they created Mm -hmm. um and said or the stories that I don't have you know, so it's like, um, like this conversation, like if there's pressure on it to do it right or to make it interesting or good, then, um, that's like why I had to name that from the beginning, you know, because <laughs> then it's like, I need to give myself permission. It's like, yeah, this might suck. And <laughs> now I'm comfortable. Um, cause I'm just like, I think when you get to the certain maturity, um, in life or once you have kids or once you fuck up enough, it's like, um, you realize you really don't know anything. And the people who like are saying, I'm the preeminent expert on this. Um, and they might be, but if there's no humility there to me, it's a dangerous place to say like, here's this answer or here's this proof without some curiosity around that. Um, yeah. I think our curiosity is where our healing is in this culture um, with with the way we do things. We need to get much more curious, I think, so that we have more innovative thinking um, out of these problems, you know, that there are many, many, many strategies uh, for solutions. Um, and I think people are doing that, like with gender, with conventions, with relationships and um, finding innately what is it that I want and I can create from there that might be in direct um, opposition to what I've been told is the way to be or the way to be an artist or the way to be a wife or a mother or a partner in a relationship. Or um, Yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a whole lot there. Yeah. I'll tell you now, just like as a part of the conversation that 
I'm glad you're here as my friend and as like a person that we've been able to do this a bit. I have two questions. One is very scary and one is not. Okay. Uh, Is scary to you or should be scary to me? To me. me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because here's the thing. I knew that I know how you and I are and how fruitful our conversations are and how deep we're willing to go with each other. If we go down the road of truly talking about society and the way that it's perceived, I know that what I'm going to end up doing is offering perspectives that whether they're for the sake of advocating for the devil or whether they're for the sake of trying our best to get towards something true, they're probably going to be uncomfortable for us to talk about. Hmm. And that's not anything that I would like, uh, uh, like insist. I wouldn't have a conversation that I insist is uncomfortable for either of us unless it was going to be something we both wanted to do. Yeah. The other alternative would be to gracious. What in the world? <laughs> the alternative question is, Instead, it's probably my hair. Um, <laughs> my hair gets everywhere. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but <laughs> instead, I could just I could ask you, you know, about sort of something you just said, indulge in that curiosity, and kind of go down that hole that is probably more about what you have going on. Mm-hmm. So, what do you want to do? Let's do both. <laughs> okay, I think inevitably we're going to end up in that other place. <laughs> so, let's start with the fir- the the safer one. Uh, when you said. You're kind of facilitating these experience like this, like promoting curiosity. What's that look like? How are you? What are you doing with these women that you're talking about? Yeah, I just felt this in- tremendous need to gather women. Um, and I, I say that as people who identify as women, whether whatever they were assigned at birth um, and coming from that and making a space where it's safe to move out of that if we want to. Um, But starting from that identification in the woods once a month, and it was this feeling of, I don't really know fully this yin spectrum of energy, and we've gendered it, but to me I just see it as a spectrum of energy of yin and yang, um, masculine and feminine. And I know the masculine. I feel pretty well in myself. I think it's really overdeveloped in a lot of women um, out of survival. And I know the yang definition of the yin. Like I know what men have wanted of me and what they say love is. And, um, And I say that globally as a cultural male and not necessarily the men in my life. Um, it's more of a cultural message. And I wanted to get in the woods where there's no nothing male defined there innately and um, find what is this wild self that came in this body, you know, in this form. And... I mean, it's so far, it's like so empowering to come together with women consciously out of that space. Whereas I feel like when I was with women before, it wasn't so much trying to get conscious about what we were handed. It was more like in reaction to what we were handed. Like, oh my God, like, and there was all like kind of, 
you know, let's relate on the struggles we're facing. But in the woods, it's like we're relating over um, what's our true desires, you know, what are our true fears, what do we long to do, um, how do we connect when we're out of the gaze of the culture. And, oh, God, it's just so powerful. It's so powerful. And so much of it, I feel, is um, blocked in their culture from speaking. Because women, once they're taking up space or being bigger, um, the judgment that comes down on women is so, so harsh. So the hiding that voice or however form that voice comes out um, has been has been part of that survival of it's just so easy to once you're outspoken be vilified or you know annoying or labeled in some kind of derogatory way um yeah so I feel like this throat area is what is being released by these women in in the in the woods like I'm gonna say the thing that I've never been safe enough to say um in these contexts of, of my town or my friends and yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so to add some context for yeah. those who like maybe don't know your story or don't, or haven't heard the zoom call we did oh. about your journey with nature and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, just to add a little bit more information. So you, uh, you can take it from me whenever you want, but I'm aware already that you've been kind of in programs that have gotten you in touch with nature and, and with your own sort of fortitude and abilities and stuff. And so are you now uh, carrying that torch over to these relationships that you're talking about? Yeah. So during COVID, I, I was just really feeling, well, actually it was before COVID. I was really feeling this need to face my fears and, um, slept outside for the first time by myself and which I couldn't believe that I had never done that (laughs) not at a campground but just like in the wild somewhere and but I would tell my female friends about that and they're just like oh my god that's so scary I can't believe you'd do that Um, but I just felt really drawn to like connect with the earth and that led to a whole journey but then during COVID I found this program um, called Deep Remembering through Holistic Survival School and it's with this teacher Luke McLaughlin, and um, I recommend it to anyone, but definitely was healing of my masculine, like um, a healthy, mature masculine, and, or young, uh, like, like where you're going to decide you're going to do the thing, and you're going to keep going, and it's hard, and um, it's not that hard, though. (laughs) You meet in the woods for four days a month for 10 months, and you learn the skills of your ancestors, like friction fire, hide tanning, basket weaving, flint napping, all kinds of things. Um, and this holistic work of healing and regulating your nervous system and understanding your survival patterns. And, but it was just so healing to meet among like 15 people and have a village and you realize how calm your nervous system gets when there's 15 people working together. And then I would go home and be like, oh, wow, I got to go to the grocery store. I got to make all my meals. I got to take care of my kids. Like no one's helping me. Not nobody, you know, like I'm, I'm, we're all isolated in our little boxes and don't have this village anymore that our ancestors had. But it definitely felt like healing 
of this certain side of myself that I really needed, like this connection to the earth. And um, it was so funny, like I kept having these visions of who I call my spirit dad. <laughs> I kept having these visions of this like indigenous man who was this really healthy masculine. And he had like this knowledge of the earth that I could just tell like, we don't have this knowledge anymore. And when I found this program, the teacher Luke like even looked like that vision. And so I just felt like it was such a spiritual journey like to find a healthy masculine um, and show me, you know, what I wish my dad could have shown me or my grandfather, you know, that, but that had that connection to the earth had been lost for so long. But the women in the program, you know, we would talk sometimes about like, gosh, there's really something to the, to the feminine, to the yin that is really unknown to us. And so, um, I didn't really know what I was doing or how I was going to do it, but I was just like, I'll just start this thing. And, and it's already morphing and we're going to change it completely. Uh, but it's being co-created by, by me and these women in the group who signed up. And I told them this, like, this is a lab. I don't know what we need. And at first I thought it was going to be, uh, you know, just a feminine version of what I did in the 10 month program, which I knew it was going to change. Um, but I think now it's really changing. Like, <laughs> like I think we're really finding what we really need as, as like to find our power that's been oppressed so long that we don't even know what it is. It's like, we're discovering it from getting in touch with, with the body. Um, I think we've been cut off from it. And like the more I read about like the burning times, like, I mean, there's different estimates, but it's like at least 200,000 women. Sometimes, you know, there's been figures up to 9 million women were burned for having this relationship that they had that was really foreign to this logical, analytical way of materialistic way of thinking that I feel is more the, the young energy. Um, yeah, it, there's an intuitive power to women that I think men have. We all have this spectrum within us, um, but, but we have gifts and challenges. And I think there's been so much disregarded or minimized of the unseen and this intuition and this connection to plants and their healing properties. And I think there's just so much to life that just because it's not seen, it's not valid. Um, I think that's what we're discovering. That is a lot of great stuff. Um, a question that comes to mind uh, that I think was very well, ex like everything you just said was a bit of an example of that is like, I, I'll be real personally. I feel as though what we're experiencing on some sort of like spiritual level is the total absence of what we would probably call the divine masculine and what has been criticized an awful lot for our relationship with history is I think what we would call the tyrannical masculine or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, you are a unique person with your voice for this reason, as far as I'm concerned in my little world for voicing an understanding of the divine and appropriate use of masculinity and like it's it's 
positive attributes. Mm-hmm. It feels to me like as you were as we were talking about some of the problems that might exist in society, I think there's ways where we could understand it on the same page as far as what's like what's missing and stuff or whatever. But like I get frustrated because I feel like people are, are some some people maybe who haven't like explored these. Uh, I don't not like that. I don't want to act like there's a monopoly on the right answer or whatever. But some people just talk mad shit like that you know, like what we need is nothing but feminine power to solve all these problems. And I've noticed that you don't seem to say that you seem to under, like seem to want in the same way that I do this balance. Mm -hmm. So the new project I'm working on, which is still forming and it's a mess in its messy creative process is all about the connection between violence against females being not a coincidence with violence against the earth. And I think the masculine is suffering. I think men are suffering as much or more (laughs) than anyone else in the culture. And I know that's like a, maybe a radical thing to say, but the the people who are hurting the most people usually are the people hurting the most themselves. Um, the, the masculine has been deprived of the feminine within them, in my opinion. They've been taught, here's what masculinity is, which isn't masculinity at all. And I think I've known, you know, like three healthy masculines in my life, like where, where it felt like I could feel in their presence a maturity, a... Um, an innate empowered place where they're healed on both sides of that spectrum and, and in service and holding these safe containers where their ego has been broken in the most wonderful way that we all need, where it becomes in service and it's humble. I'm here to protect. I'm here to hold this space. I'm here to, in that village, love in such a way that the strength in my body that was my gift and being born you know with this body I will die to protect what I love you know and not that women don't have that too women do that with further I mean just giving birth you're doing that you're facing your own death and I love you so much I will give my life um anyone who's had a baby I think faces <laughs> faces their death um at least I felt that way and um I think I think the mature masculine um honors the feminine and sees that I can't penetrate this power into the world safely without the feminine. And I think the feminine can't fully bloom without that safe container, that, that, that soil that, that a masculine provide. I know I'm, ta- I know I'm using this gendered language, but I mean the spectrum of energy. And I think, I think all relationships, whether you're non-binary, trans, polyamorous, whatever, has this dance of energy that we've gendered. And I don't like using that language um, because we all have this dance of like, have I made it safe for you to be vulnerable? And will I protect you 
emotionally, spiritually, physically, uh, in all contexts, you know, like, and we all do that for each other, you know, and I think in our own pain, like people who are identified as women, it's so easy to shame men and come from that rage of the wound. But I think what's, I think our, like that truth speaking of like, I see the beauty in you and it hurts to see, um, you not believing in that, like this, this empowerment that has nothing to do with any external validation. Um, and will speak the harsh truth to help him see, see clearly. And, um, you know, I have a partner that does that for me. Like I see when you're selling yourself short, I don't know. I think a partnership is to help you reach that I mean, we say divine, but there's so many words for it, but reach that like understanding in yourself that you're just this miracle and you're so powerful in this, in just being your authentic self and finding within you what you're here to do in service to, to make this a more generative space. I Um, believe that. Yeah. I feel that way. I think men have been taught like, here's my success is having this beautiful woman on my arm, having money, having this kind of career, impressing these people. I think that's been like literally pushed, maybe not so much now. I don't know if it still is, but I don't know. It's still there. It feels like, you know, that idea I tend to take issue with just because it sounds as though I think we often have this idea that like the culture that we found ourselves in is not a product of human nature at all. And human nature is there. There's a question of whether human nature is a part of nature, and perhaps if you're like working with a biblical story or something, no matter which religion you're working with, actually, I think there's like efforts to explain this difference, like why we play by rules, uh, unlike the natural world. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't. Th- I guess all I mean is, most men, I don't think, have to be taught to want a beautiful woman on their arm or to want to collect wealth or resources. I think if you dropped multi-cultures of men in a space, like those same, those are like fundamental. Hmm. Those things are going to produce themselves. So like it's more external. Like, I guess what I mean is like, there's nothing wrong, I think, with wanting those things, but when your value is defined by it. Um, But I love this question of like, whether human nature is a part of nature I think that's our problem is we're, we've made ourselves the other and look what we've done, <laughs> you know, and do you think we the are earth. the other? No. Okay. I think we're absolutely part of the system of nature. Like we're part of the ecosystem and what's made all this destruction is that we, we've made ourselves the other. And to me, that's the root of all suffering is like, I mean, and racism, sexism, ageism, you know, ableism, all those things. It's like, it's like defining as the other, but it's like, if I understand myself as part of the ecosystem, I'm not going to go into a space and mow it down and make a parking lot without understanding how will this affect the entire ecosystem of this space? Because I believe 
um, that we're not meant to just protect nature from human hands because there's this, this belief in that that oh we're the enemy and I don't know if it's conservationists I don't know what the name is but it's like there's this understanding of like let's seal off this land so people can't get to it because we ruin everything mm. and I think that's part of the problem like we need to work with land we can tend land and make it generative for all life in that space like okay so I had this amazing conversation with this huntress and she she uh, has this really sacred relationship with hunting and she was talking about the woman who taught her uh, had to learn from the good old boys you know she was a woman who wanted to learn how to hunt where are the women who hunt she had to go to hang out with the good old boys you know and so she would hang out with with each one of them and she um she hung out with uh this one he just got in his truck and he drove up to where the deer were eating um at dusk you know how they'll see you know they come out at dusk and he and he just looked at her and was like this is the only way i hunt and he drove up real loud in his truck and some of them scurried off but some of them stayed and he got out of his truck and he just yelled, are you here for me? And some of them ran off, but some of them stayed. And he yelled again, are you here for me? And finally, one deer is remaining and he just goes, are you here for me? And the deer turns uh, and presents its broadside and he shoots it. And she was just like, what the hell? (laughs) You know, and he just said, you know, I'm part of this world. They know I'm coming. They know why I'm here. And if you give them a choice, one will present itself. That I'm here to feed you because those animals aren't seeing us as separate. And if we were really functioning as a village and we know there's a, a lion that has to be fed, and we're, we, we're absent of the ego that we have and we're functioning more as an animal, we probably would <laughs> like respond differently. Of course, we do have the ego. We're all going to try to protect ourselves. But what we'd probably try to do is find some animal for this lion. But it's like she had this whole belief. She was like, the land knows you're coming. And this is what I mean about that feminine wisdom. There's so much that science is starting to reveal in quantum physics and, you know, that there's, that there's a, almost a, a consciousness even around the air, you know, the trees have this whole network beneath them that mycelium connects the entire earth. Like there's, there's a, there's something to be said about that. And to me, I don't have the answer. I'm just curious about it. And I love these stories um, like that because it's like, here's this piece that we've been missing so long and look what's happened to the earth. Literally, it's becoming uninhabitable for our, to to the life that it made out of this environment. And if we understand that there's more of a symbolic relationship 
that we're fed differently than just by food. Like if my partner, Ryan, writes a note and says, I love you on it and leaves it for me, I'm going to be fed by that note more than a meal. I don't think the earth is any different. I don't think animals are any different. I don't think trees are any different. We think of things symbolically as not having true literal uh, sustenance, but it does for us, you know? I think all life is like that. Um, When I ignore my cat, my cat really knows, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and is concerned, I can tell. Um, I think that if we had nurtured this relationship that we see more written about in Native American testimony in indigenous cultures, we wouldn't be in the place we are now. And to me, there's something of the yin in that, that this intuition, this understanding that like, I've had too many times in my life where I needed something very specific and it showed up immediately. I can't talk to too many people about this. And I don't know how to explain it. Um, But I talked to a woman for five hours yesterday. We just started talking. And we got into the space. And she was like, this has been my experience. And she started going through this, this life of these experiences where she's like, I can't talk. She's like, I've been waiting for this conversation for 30 years. She's like, I cannot believe the things you are saying because this is my experience of being a woman. And I was like, I know. And this is the problem with patriarchy and the blind ways we all follow it. Women are kept separate from having those conversations. Um, But the more we have those conversations, the more we're realizing when you say like women needing to be the one who solved the problems. There's part of me that it does. I do think the feminine is what will solve our problems, but I think of it more as yin and it's within all of us. And I think, I think it's been so long that we're all reacting from these wounds that there is something to, no one's really fed by the innate yin spectrum of energy yet. Um, not fully, because we don't even know what it is fully. Um, yeah, <laughs> I could just keep going, but <laughs> just talk myself in circles. Yeah, still, there's a lot there to choose from. Um, maybe we can figure out where we are exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, like when you were talking about the state of the world and stuff, like I, I, I'll be real, like as a non-science reading person or something, I have heard all this stuff about sort of where we are in the world for a long time. Uh, not really sure all of the efforts in all of the different realms that are going on. Uh, I can have like a really layman's conversation about like climate change and stuff, but when it comes down to it, I'm not an expert on all the shit. Me neither. But I don't, from what I... What I can tell you is that I don't assume the worst about where we are. And like, I don't think society, I have my, I have my own observations about society and the things that make me worry about it. And I don't know what yours 
are in that regard. So maybe we could talk about yeah. what it is about society that it is exactly that we're trying to pinpoint. Yeah. You know, is is faulty. Yeah. Or something. I'm super optimistic. I think there's so much transformation going on right now. I know that it, on on the surface it looks terrible and everything's going terribly, but I feel like those are these last efforts because there is so much transformation going on I think um yeah I mean it's so funny to talk about society but yeah it's just kind of this messaging you pick up like in this in these spaces yeah um but yeah I feel like I feel like if we all go inward there's this really accepting empathetic compassionate love and we're the blocks to that, I think, are the shadow, you know, the shadow side, um, the, that there's a lot of blocks in our, in our society, in our culture. Um, but they're being removed little by little. We're titrating out of it the more we go inward. Because the more you go inward, the more you can't not face them anymore. It, the issue is we're always... We stay in these patterns, I think, culturally of like, well, you're my problem. You out here are my problem. And it's like, we've seen where that's gotten us. That doesn't really solve anything until you start pointing the finger back at yourself. Well, how did I contribute to this? How did I become a willing participant in this? How did I enable this? What are my beliefs that tell me that I'm not worthy or valuable without this external relationship or validation you know like when you're an artist like us we face that all the time because it's like okay I'm gonna write this song from my soul and then you put it out there and there's like you know there's a desire for it to be heard and it you know for someone to feel less alone and and you know that desire for like it's just gonna spread around the world and I'm gonna be this voice for the whole world and then you're all of a sudden you're facing your shadow of like I'm not doing this for outward validation yet there's a there's a desire for the voice to matter I don't I'm not putting myself in your shoes but like yeah like there's this feeling of like let, I want to be the artist that illuminates this thing that like heals all these people and uplifts all these people. Um, but it's, it's like such a thin line because then the next time I write a song, I have to stay in that humble place of like, um, I'm doing this from my own inner work. And I, if I start doing it for this outer thing, I, I deny myself that truth being fed by this, by this, by this action, by this relationship of being with creativity, with creation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know we're jumping all over the place, but I, I do feel like this, this, our, out of our fear, we do a lot of finger pointing and out of our fear, we do a lot of comfort seeking and certainty like um okay I'm gonna get married and like okay that's settled done put that over here as if the journey stops I mean we all know doesn't (laughs) it still keeps going but I think the more we lose our ground the more we feel like we're lost the messier things are we're like man I don't know the closer we are to really being more part of that ecosystem in a way Mm -hmm. You know, like we, 
we can only just take one step in front of us of like this innate being a part of nature is also like what we're what our deepest pleasure is and I think most of us are kind of stunted from our deepest pleasure because we've already have it in our minds a belief a limiting belief of like well I can't do that because that'll be embarrassing or someone will be upset da, 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 da. but if we really get in touch with that deepest pleasure like what will give me so much pleasure that it feeds me more than food more than any material item um then I think we'd be more in balance with our ecosystems. You know what I mean? But we have to face all our fears to get to that deepest, deepest pleasure. Mm -hmm. That's why I started singing. I mean, for years I wrote songs and was so terrified. I was just like, no, there's no way I will ever, ever, ever sing these songs outward. And um, the pain of not doing it finally exceeded the pain of facing everything I'd have to face to do it. And I think that's where we're all getting to. Like I'd rather face whatever pain of embarrassment or humiliation or someone judging it um, or someone hating me. I think that's kind of what COVID did. Cause it's like, Hey, you might die and the world might end. You might as well do what you're here to do, you know? I think so too. I think that pleasure that you're describing, we could probably conceptualize as like, that's like the meaning that people try to seek in life, that place. And to me, in my mind, as we're thinking through this, I think it's a nice idea. The idea of the meaning being this sort of relationship between like, cause as you're like what you were describing, because again, we were trying to anchor this back toward like what's going on in society, broadly speaking. And I like the idea that maybe this is like you, you chase something like a passion or like a risk and you maybe go to that place of being like when I've been in my life sort of in the apprentice role, that's felt like a, uh, receptive power which I think some people would argue is like a feminine power mm -hmm. you know to, to be receiving uh, to be receiving this whatever this like wisdom from something else from someone else or something and then like the, the masculine application of that like once you master it and put it forward in the world and whatever and I could see that being that like this harmony that produces a meaning in somebody's life or whatever to take this take this ability to learn from other people and then master it and make yourself capable of teaching other people and serving other people and all this shit. That all sounds meaningful. And I think that, you know, I think we both agree that we've lost a lot of our spiritual histor like our, our historical relationship with spirituality and with religion and with the idea of God and all these things. And I think it, there's a great argument for, discovering that again in some way even if it's different even if it's more especially if it's more ancient i think um but i guess yeah to to try to find that positivity i i think i hope that like when we think about society through this other lens through this like optimistic lens you know that's why we came up with college in the first place or learning institutions like that's why we came up with apprenticeships for jobs and 
it's the great thing about people being entrepreneurs and having small businesses or whatever. It's like, luckily these things are going on in the world in some way. I think part of our complaint or my complaint is that we've, we replaced like our, our natural meaning or something with labor, with like our, our labor identity instead of our like human identity. And I don't know what to say about our human identity because I don't trust that idea on its own. Uh, but, you know, like instead of us, whatever, be, like having our farm or our place in our village and having our that role, we somehow shifted to like being a plumber or being a, being a welder mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't, I don't think, bring about the same meaning that you're describing the meaning that's that's deeply nourishing and meaningful. And I, I think that is what people think of. At, I think people now think of something like, I, th- I find in my own life, it's either that I'm taking a practical road of like a, of more money, more responsibility, less joy, less things that I feel good about things that don't make me feel like morally fulfilled or this artistic route that feels more feminine that people warn me is like not stable and not trustworthy and and you know living in that space of of like really truly being motivated I guess by like what satisfies my life Mm -hmm. I don't know yeah I I mean I think the oppression of that yin feminine is why taking that road means you might not have any security in this culture. Like the the oppression of it means we don't value it. But to me, I mean, I had a conversation with some friends way before COVID where they were having a conversation like, well, why do, why do I, why should I write poetry? You know, why do I get to be so privileged that I get to write poetry? And I was just like, coming from a really different place like there's no other reason for living you know like to me being human and dancing and singing and creating in that space of symbolism and honor is the reason we're here is to experience the senses to experience deep pleasure but we've made a whole structure of of living it's industrialized it's not earth-based um that that has devalued all those things and i get it we have to eat we have to have shelter and all these things um but it's not earth-based anymore you know, we've, we're not home. And to me, like being home on the earth, like understanding that the earth is my mother, like literally like my original mother. And I, if I have no relationship to her and I'm just on a computer or I'm on a, a very, uh, invented system. Yeah. My mental health is going to be really probably not good my relationships probably aren't going to be great um because I have no connection to the innate and so I guess what I mean is like singing dancing writing all these things like 
discovery through through my hands um like even welding and plumbing to me feels more connected to the earth because I'm using my hands in a way and I'm using my mind and I'm having to probably innovate some things but it's like most of the culture is so removed from connection with each other and the earth that it's like it it becomes like the the pavement I don't know what I'm trying to say necessarily but it's like I I think there's a way to have modern technologies and the way we do things and watch shows and you know connect that way and have our computers and have um our comforts in balance with everything else earth-based and of our ecosystem and I think people are trying to do it like we need the technologies of these these indigenous villages which were very spirit-based with with these modern technologies and wow wouldn't wouldn't it be amazing and there was a a man who just died named Maladoma Somay and that was his mission in life is to bridge the positives of these two uh technologies you know and the technologies of the indigenous village are very much what we're talking about like what that man knew and he was like are you here for me this understanding that the earth loves me too and that plants and animals need me too and I think people are discovering it more and more. I was just watching this documentary about surviving death and it was people who have near death experiences and it's all these scientists with this, you know, very young way of thinking, realizing like, whoa, like proving, literally proving through their studies that consciousness exists without the brain. And then studying these, you know, children who are born having all this information from a previous life and that they're verifying it you know, at the University of Virginia, you know, and it's like, there's so much that that comes from this curiosity. And I guess like maybe in Winston-Salem, I feel limiting beliefs of that town that I love so much, but there's some limiting beliefs like, well, what do you mean um, that you know, you're, you're asking for this and then it's arriving. And it's like, it's so beyond anything they've experienced or because their whole brain is focused on, if it's not tangible, if it's not, if it can't be proven by these methods, even though in this documentary they are proving these things by these methods, um, where it's like I can bring it into the young sense of understanding. But it's like, if I can't prove it, then it's it's nothing it's like I can't I can't even consider it and I understand there's a danger to this space to believing in my unseen relationships you know with ancestors or whatever there's a danger because we've seen you know evangelical leaders we've seen people like Trump who just like claim things and they get to be real without any proof and you know people get brainwashed and all these things happen um, but if things are earth-based like if we keep going back to the earth 
and the reality of our survival. Like my friend Luke said, he's like, you know, you're, you keep saying like logical. He's like, it's not logical what we've done to the environment. Actually, if we were logical, we would be in balance with our ecosystems. And it's like, yeah, that's <laughs> like, we're not doing anything logically, you know, um, for sustainability. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but, <laughs> but it's like, I think there's this marriage of these different ways of thinking. I think it's, it, they're friends and we think of them as like, well, you can't have this without the other. You can't have, you know, proof of consciousness outside the body without debunking, you know, all this other proof that's based in the material. And it's like, no, this, these two things, you know, we're complex beings and just seeing that photo, those photos from 4 billion, light from 4 billion years ago, um, someone had to imagine that first. Someone had to imagine that telescope that would be able to do that. You know, but if you told someone a hundred years ago, they, they'd just say no, 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 no. So I guess this curiosity keeps us in a place of possibility. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I'm glad you voiced sort of that was exactly what I was about to say was like there has to be, you know, there's got to be, I think everything, everything we can conceptualize is lethal without a certain end point. <laughs> and like, I don't know, I've seen weird Just. evidences of that. Like I've heard, I've heard conversations of like some people are running with this sentiment in a way that leads them to this conclusion that like Western society itself wasn't formed keeping all these things intact and therefore has to we have to go back to the drawing board as far as that concern is is concerned and reform sort of society with all of these like indigenous practices being assumed true and i think that's like a not that's just an unrealistic expectation to like anybody who (laughs) anybody who wants to start society over i think is um is not thinking deeply about their plan. Um, and I think if, especially if they're motivated to do it just to like work in more religion than what is already in there. Cause, cause a lot of what you're describing, a lot of this perspective is also deeply related to, I think like religious ideas and like what our role in the world is and how we are supposed to conduct ourselves in the world. What is supposed to be a priority. And a lot of religions have produced those ideas for us as well, or like, been a way to organize those those ideas so i think rebuilding society in a way that like incorporates more of that would be very very hard but i think uh finding that harmony might be more realistic than starting from scratch oh yeah i don't think we can start from scratch i think it's just i think finding the harmony is just like a slow little teeny bits by bits process where it's like you know maybe one company decides to to incorporate um a more holistic practice with their employees or something you know like oh we're gonna do breath work once a week here and offer it for free for anyone who wants to come um that will that would absolutely transform that company yeah um in a in a really um probably not um obvious way but it's so yeah if i can jump it's so funny I don't know what this means but as like I can't like 
the job that I've been working recently, I don't feel alive as a human. And like all this stuff that you're like that idea that you just put forward would never fly there. It would never be a thing. It would be way too hippie. It would be way right. too liberal, you know, uh, way too the like limiting beliefs come in the judgments. Yeah. 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 It's just not, Stigmas. it's yep. not what you do. And, right. Uh, so, <laughs> so like in that, it's like, I guess I don't know how to understand it. Cause like the mentality, like my attitude about the way your average laborer is treated is consistent. I think with all of those observations. And yet, when I picture myself going into that space, I wouldn't embrace that. I wouldn't think of that as a possibility. I wouldn't want it to be there. Like those two ways of existing yeah. are very different. My, mm-hmm. my way of existing here in my yard is different than like my way of existing right. there when I have to do certain right. things. Yeah, it's an, un, like, I mean, I would say like what you just described in my own life, if I have a space like that, I would consider that a space where... I feel in, I have to be inauthentic in order to survive. And I think most of us in this culture are in survival mode where we don't feel safe to do the vulnerable thing or say, hey, like maybe we could try this out. We don't feel safe to have curiosity. There's so many limitations put in place that might not even ever be spoken, but we can just feel them. We can, we can get the message that this is not a space where I could say like, hey guys, let's start doing breath work once a week. We we inherently know when it's safe to say, you know, so. What kind of safe do you mean? So I mean safe to have curiosity and possibility. So like, so yeah, like um, if, if, okay, so, so my show the other night, and, you know, some of the things I said, I wasn't sure if they were landing and being received in the way I intend them. You know, I don't know. That's the risk you take when you, you play a show and you, you talk um, because they're coming from a context where they haven't um, uh, been open to thinking a, a certain way. Ugh, God, that sounds judgmental and like pretentious probably, or I don't mean it that way. Um but there's a certain space where um, I know if I talk about um, my relationship to, you know, psychedelic mushrooms, where that is going to be understood and accepted and received and safe. I'm not going to be judged. I'm not going to be disregarded or minimized or like cast off because I have a relationship with psychedelic mushrooms. Um, if I say that in the wrong space, you know, there might be people in the room who disregard me as a valid person, you know, anymore, you know, um, and it's so interesting. Michael Pollan just came out with the, with the documentary of his two books about plant medicine, about psychedelics. And Michael Pollan is one of these people who's a white man, very respected, very quantifiable, you know, research that he's done and experiences he's done. And he's a very respected person. He is the only person uh, right now probably who could change someone's mind about plant medicine. Um, maybe not the only person, but b- what I mean is a white man. Why, he, why white 
What do you mean white man? Because he's using his privilege as a white man, as a respected person in this way of thinking, in this material world where I can quantify everything, I can prove everything. And he's using those methods to bring people in that who are locked in that way of thinking, which is a wonderful way of thinking, into thinking more outside of that way of thinking. That, that, that something from the earth can actually open you into a new consciousness. Um, and to me, it is always going to take a white man. You know, it took, a, it took the Rolling Stones. It took Bob Dylan, like, for, for African-American music to be, to be accepted on a mainstream level, you know, and celebrated. You know, it always is a white man in a, you know, patriarchal, white, dominator culture. Um, I think we're going to get lost with each other here in a second because <laughs> I don't I don't think I see it that way. Like, really? Yeah. I mean, I think I've seen I know that we have a history of I, I, first. I know that uh, f- first I acknowledge that like the other ethnicities have been a minority and are a minority for the most part. And yeah. uh, and also in like a lot of creative and work related fields that like men have been uh, not they've been the mono they were a monolith for a certain period of time yeah but like i i guess i just disagree as far as who's impacting culture because i think there's been a lot of like i i think i think ethnic and gender differences as far as impacting culture are actually i think we think they're more limiting than they actually are and we've had i think we've had a pretty uh like a very single-voiced diet of that message and i understand why because it was it's still it's been a worthwhile message to hear but i think i think what that there's a a concern i have with that message being like too voiced as completely i think as that is just that i mean we just exclude a lot of people who have accomplished a lot of things regardless of right being a minority but i guess i mean by reaching people who are of that thinking do you know what I mean so I mean no of course yeah the things have really progressed but we're still in massive gender disparity and massive uh white privilege like predominantly the data shows across the board that white still has most of the privilege and that uh there's gender. I, I teach a class on gender disparity, so I know the data <laughs> of gender disparity in every system, and it's not good. It's really not good. And um, so, what I mean is, um, when a white man uses his privilege to step out into that space of something that's been um, culturally, uh, you know, labeled as bad, like it's in the shadow of the culture, you know, and, and, and mushrooms were being, if we want to take mushrooms as an example, have been, were being studied by these, you know, researchers before the drug war. And then they were made illegal. And then it was like, oh, we're making a plant illegal. Okay. And, um, and, it became, you know, synonymous with cocaine and other drugs like that. And so I guess what I mean is, is like when there's someone stepping forward to like try to make something accepted on a mainstream level, um, 
I think it's accepted so much more with open arms if, if it's by by the dominator race and and uh, gender that it's it's someone who looks like them as if that makes sense. I don't I think I just don't subscribe to that yeah. uh, idea. Um, so you don't see actually. that you don't see that happening. No, no. But why aren't more white men stepping forward to speak up about the things that are not okay in this culture. Like, why not use that privilege? And I, I guess what I mean is, is like, I feel really grateful for Michael Pollan for doing that because I know other people are doing that, but they're not going to change the minds of someone locked in these ways of thinking that are very limited. Do you know what I'm saying? Cause he already had the respect of the mainstream. And so to then step into the space of something that's taboo in that space, that's using his privilege for good, I think. I mean, I guess the first step I would have to, to offer is to point is to say, you know, not everyone engaging in this conversation even accepts the premise of the, the privilege theory, like the idea that 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 if you're if you are a part of being, if you're a white male or whatever, that you're like innately more or innately, you know, that you're automatically more privileged in society. Like that's not, I, I, I'm not necessarily taking a position on that in mm-hmm. this moment, but uh-huh. what I'm saying is that the, the people you, cause you asked like about where more, where other men would find themselves in that, not all men or women or black Americans or whatever, like not everybody agrees with this idea in the first place. Right. Yeah. And so, I understand that. Yeah. yeah so, I'm saying it as my opinion. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So that, I guess that was my question is like, do you see these ideas that maybe inform, uh, this perception that you have about like the privilege or the, the ethnic aspect of this? Is this, is this an opinion that you're working with or is this as, as far as you know, an assertion of what's true about society? I, yeah, I mean, I think when I say privilege, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm thinking about data. Um, so I did something called the racial equity Institute and no, it's not as cut and what, uh, it's not as black and white as, as, as people might like, maybe what you're assuming and what I'm saying. Um, but across the board in every system, education, medical, um, religious, you know, all the systems we have in place, the lower the outcomes, uh, you know, it outcomes are, there's a huge disparity in outcomes, um, between white and, uh, BIPOC. And, What's interesting is across the board that even even though white people um, have better outcomes in all these systems, that compared to other first world countries, white people's outcomes are much lower than other people, other white people in these other um, countries. And it's because the lower the outcomes go for minorities, the lower ours get, even as white people. Um, So they're still better, but they're worse overall because racism 
lowers everything. And, and, you know, racism, you know, people don't, it, there's, there's so much blind racism, like that we can't, that they've studied as in this racial equity Institute, they have the data that is just like stunning that we're not aware of. They were able to show these doctors, like, actually, here's the data of how much time you're spending with your white patients as opposed to your black patients. But when they interviewed him, you know, it's like he had no inkling at all that he was doing that. He's like, no, I treat everyone with equality. I give the same care to all my patients. But then they showed the data. And it's a very, it's a different story, you know. And you can look at the data of, you know, who who gets the apartment, you know, where, where it's this blind racism, you know, that it's so buried in the unconscious. So it's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to give the, the apartment to this person based on this information, you know, and then they find that actually you're never admitting anyone who's a minority into your apartment building, you know, it's, you know, it's to me, I'm of the belief that because I was raised in a culture that I think is racist and sexist and ageist and ableist and bigoted, that I have that in me. And the work is to constantly become aware of how I'm enabling that, how I'm contributing to that from an unconscious place. On the surface, I'm like, Everyone, yes, I want equality. And I think most people are like that. But there's there's conditioning that's so unconscious that I have to be constantly working on how am I how am I uh, also contributing to this, to this inequity. So so um <laughs> We are so deep. Yes. it's I, th- And this is what I was talking about before. Like, I'm glad that I get to talk about this with you because mm-hmm. I would like, uh, there, I don't know who else I would choose to yeah. try to have this conversation with. Yeah. Um, I would, I wanted to say first that, you know, like I acknowledge a lot of the data you're pulling from also acknowledging that like, it's not that da- da- I'm not someone who just thinks that all data is relative, but I am someone who, basically in my process of distancing myself from liberalism learned more data that informed more ideas that just left me with no identity so i'm not coming into this as like someone who's on the opposite side of a spectrum of you i'm somebody who tries to not be on either end of this spectrum as far as conclusions or identities go yeah which leads me to this okay uh i've noticed within like I think what I would call like the left side of thinking lately. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe forever. I don't know. Cause I, I think I see it going further back than our generation, but there's an idea that culture has informed who we are and that like culture has made us, has given us its problems. I don't subscribe to this idea. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that humans come first. I believe that we're, we're actively always updating culture. I don't believe that we're products of culture in the way that we're told we are. I don't believe all of society is racist, bigoted, ageist, sexist, all these things. I don't believe society is a thing that exists. I believe that we are a a collective group of people that are all trying to share a space 
and we can notice things about our beha- behavior that we have in common and that like we we bump up against each other we most definitely have tribalism we most definitely relate most to people who we have the most in common with and mm-hmm. that happens on very many different levels i mean like in my life i have definitely had deeper bonds with like black friends of mine that i have than than like white friends of mine and the same with hispanic friends of mine or whatever ethnicity has not been the key especially not gender has been ethnicity nor ethnicity uh or neither ethnicity or gender but especially not gender has been a uh has been a way for me to identify who i have the most in common with uh, much like my relationship with you, I've never thought about the fact that we aren't the same gender. I've, yeah. just n- I've never thought, well, how fortunate it is to relate to you despite the fact that you're a woman or whatever. It just doesn't come to mind for <laughs> yeah. me. Um, so I just, I don't feel that way about society as a whole. And that is honestly probably the main thing that has made me get so distant from the identity I used to relate to, like with liberalism. I used to use that identity as a way to know who I had like political ideas in common Mm -hmm. with. And Mm -hmm. now it's so awry that I just don't relate to anybody. I I don't relate (laughs) to anybody who's trying to accomplish anything politically. I just can only relate to humans who, and and the space in which I relate to them has to have nothing to do with politics. If it's going to remain pretty much. Right. I honestly feel like we're the same in that. Like to me, like, like to me, the way I'm conducting my life is like, I don't think our souls in a way know these differences, but I also see (laughs) what's happening. And I, I totally get where you're coming from. Like I, I want that. I want us to relate as humans in the, you know, on the earth with the earth. And to me, I've had, to you know safer spaces like that where differences don't seem to matter Mm -hmm. um but where there is the like what i would say categorical type thinking which i'm i don't i don't think is i don't know if that's innate or from the culture but i mean i have picked up on in my own life fears because of the you know what I was taught to look out for you know what I mean like which which made me then you know scan my environment in a way that believed men were this way and this group was this way and you know which is unfortunate but yeah I mean in an in an ideal (laughs) way I I just I with my students that I teach at school of the arts, like, you know, we always kind of come to when we, when in this gender disparity class that it's like, there's, there's this feeling of like, my soul doesn't know if I just go to my soul, my soul doesn't know these rules or these categories. And, um, and I think with going to more of a spectrum way of thinking with sexuality, with gender, um, with identity. Um, it's our, it's, it's our way of trying to, to let nuance exist. Nuance is more the truth of things rather than these categories. Um, but I think because of being growing up female 
and growing up in West Virginia, you know, I could clearly see um, that the white men around me were able to do things that others didn't have the opportunity for. Mm -hmm. And so I recognize that opportunity doesn't, is not yet like, yes, I have this idealistic view, like we're all souls and we can connect and we can have this, but there are, um, things in place, you know, literally from the systems, like, you know, for instance, that schools are funded by property tax, you know, then we know that in those areas where there's more poverty, those schools have fewer resources, you know, and, and, you know, if this education is this way and that school has that reputation and then that school has this reputation that, you know, then it becomes harder to get into this school and then, you know, this college. And then, you know, it's, it's very, it's very easy to be a victim, I think of the systems. And I guess that's like, I have my own views about humanity, but then I also acknowledge that they, that we, we do have these systems in place um, that keep people in homeostasis, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's valid. And I think systems, man, people talk about systems a lot. Yeah. And they, <laughs> like, they often say something like, we don't have the systems we need to solve this problem or that problem, which I find very interesting. Um, because I've heard it attributed to like wacky, wacky problems like that. Like, some people seem to rely on this idea of systems pretty heavily as if it's like a the only way that we solve problems or something. And I don't know what to think about that sometimes. And I don't know why it seems to be the left side of the spectrum that exclusively talks about systems in this way when it's the right side of the spectrum that tries to uphold the systems so much. But that's just an odd, uh, contradictory thing. But yeah, so like that's a good example to work from. Um, and my brain goes to, when we think about that, my brain simply goes to, I can understand how that's like a really complex issue within society that, that we can look for solutions for. Do I attribute it to malice or misfortune? Not so much malice, maybe more so complicated misfortune and things of that nature. And like, we can ask where that misfortune what it's rooted back to and we could probably come up with answers that are relevant to ethnicity and like society and shit like that but um my solution tends to be let's improve on these you know let's improve on what we have in place or whatever let's like make things better and i feel like where people have fallen into now as a mentality of these these systems we have in place aren't trustworthy and so we should undermine them or something like that and I, I think that's, I don't, I don't mind people wanting to update things or call out what they see as a problem. I think that's great. I just wish that maybe people could tap into something like a little bit of appreciation for the systems as well, mm -hmm. because like we built them for a reason. They, they're doing something here that, they, that a lot of the world wishes they were doing. Like people think America is like, like has a special relationship with racism and truly I don't think it does. I don't think that America has a special relationship with sexism or anything else. I think there's a really good reason that so many people throughout the world 
still look at America as a place that has a, an unusual amount of opportunity compared to a lot of other countries. And mm -hmm. I think that's worth us trying to remember a little bit when right. it comes time for us to try to appreciate right. culture a little more. Yeah. I don't think the systems, you know, like that we have public school and these children gather there, you know, like, yeah, I want to keep public schools, but it's like, what's going on in those walls? You know, uh, I don't want to get rid of pol a police force, but what if we completely change the paradigm of what we're thinking of as a police force? You know, like, you know, we're seeing outcomes be so much better uh, with mental health professionals going to certain types of calls that come in and they're able to de-escalate and, and handle the problem without a police officer showing up. You know, yeah, I, I can recognize that we need police officers um, for protection. Um, you know, when I was at the Pride Parade, I was really happy to see the police officers there because there were, you know, some people there that, you know, I, I might need to be protected from, you know, uh, who, who believe that, you know, uh, maybe that violence is okay. Um, I think the issue is, is our history. You know, a lot of these systems were, you know, born out of, um, a foundation of, of slavery, you know, that some lives are more, uh, valuable than other lives. And so I think we're in the process of looking at, well, how do we undo, uh, these, these parts of that, <laughs> that, um, that do treat some people as other and less than. And to me, like, it's no different than family systems theory. So, uh, I know a little bit about this cause Ryan's a therapist, but, um, you know, all these systems, it's no different than a family really. Uh, and in a family, there's roles in that family and, you know, and they've, come up with different names for those roles but pretty much everyone in a family starts to develop their unique place in that family and let's take an addict's family for instance and the addict is um, probably the person who's showing the symptoms of the dysfunction in the family and maybe we could uh, you know define dysfunction as um, something not in consciousness, you know, something unconscious being played out, um, probably from family history. And the addict uh, probably has an enabler, someone who kind of protects them in their addiction. And then you have like the joker maybe, you know, just we could label it differently, but the whole system functions for survival within the dysfunction. And let's say the addict gets better, you know, and they're, they stop being an addict. It's very common for the system to sabotage <laughs> that addict's recovery because then everyone else's role would change. And we have a, we have a, some kind of human nature in us that we prefer homeostasis. It's safer. Change is scary. You know, I do think we resist changing and um, so, so I'm aware of that this occurs in family systems and, and, and the theory is, is that every family has a system that it's just, it just naturally happens that we all kind of, I, in my family, I was kind of the, the sweet people pleaser, you know, 
and um that was very functional within the the system at the time for my survival and we all have our survival patterns um Ryan is the joker you know he kind of gets everyone laughing and and so um if I look at that family system and take that system and like I don't know the school system you know um there's a certain relationship between the school board and these systems. There's a certain relationship between the school board and the government and these, the state government and the federal government. And um, there's a lot of disconnect and there's a lot of, you know, um, variation across the country and all the different schools. And maybe it works over here, but doesn't work over here. And I mean, it's just such a complicated thing. Um, but I do know that there is something to, um, you know, trying to find leaders who are curious. Because I think there's no space for that. There's no space for vulnerability, I think. I think there's a lot of leader isolation and this like we're saying as artists, like this need to do it right. And literally having to embrace uh, shutting out certain ideas um, to keep maintaining leadership. Um, I really hate how it's so easy to point the finger at leaders um, and blame them for everything. Because I feel like if, if, if leaders could disarm us enough, if they're in that place of like, let me hear this out. Um, like if a principal at a school sits down and really listens, like, what do you need? How do you want to teach? What makes you feel alive? And then caters that school to the gifts of those teachers and what they can bring where they feel alive and figures out which students are like, oh, this student's really, you know, if they really sit down, I think that would be really positive change. Just listening and, get, and getting curious and trying a different way. But they might not be at liberty. You know, they might have their hands cuffed by the school board, you know, and these testing. And, and so yeah, we start acting out of survival. It's like, well, I can't solve that problem because of this over here, you know. Um, and that might be in the family system when it's like, well, you can't be gay because your grandmother cannot accept it. So just can you just like not say anything about it? Like, you know, like, you know, it's just, I don't know. I know we're getting into like, I know it's so much of this is assumption and just. Um, yeah, it's fine. I mean, yeah. but I, I get what you're saying and I think I yeah. can see I can see how they could compare. And I think I mean, it maybe you know, you know all this shit, you know. I know I'm not telling you things that you haven't heard or thought about before, but you know, I think with um a smaller a smaller functioning system like a family, that stuff is louder. And then like the bigger you get, there's there's still interpersonal things or whatever, but this whole idea of like the corporate world and how emotionless it is or whatever. It's like, I guess that's probably why it is that way so that it's functioning and like practical instead of 
having to be bothered by all of this stuff, all of this like existential stuff and emotional mm-hmm. stuff and all this stuff. And, you know, that's, I'm sure that's the case for corporate America and like why it exists the way it does. And it's so like, it's, it's supposed to be this, it's attempt at being so stoic and, 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 uh, pragmatic or whatever. It is what it is. Uh, I think that there's like leadership and the things that we use as indicators or the things that we have learned are indicators for what produces the outcome that we mean to produce Mm. and that our association of that with masculinity or whatever, like that I think is sort of founded in something. Yeah. I, I have a great example Mm -hmm. of something. Um, okay. So in this wilderness program, um, that I did for 10 months and now Ryan's doing it for Mm. 10 months. And, um, uh, you have, you know, two white men leading it and they are the leaders, you know, and they, um, are creating, you know, what I call a safe space or a safer space. And what I mean by safer space is like where you are, uh, safe enough to say how you feel about something and that it will be received and heard. And they do that by creating structure around, um, feedback, you know? So we'd have these like connection and disconnection circles, like where are you connecting? You know, where, where are you feeling good in this, in this program? And then where are you disconnecting? Where are you feeling disconnected in this program? And it was really held when you had, you know, what I would call, you know, negative feelings Mm -hmm. and they would really hear it and really consider it. And that was different for me, for men in my life and leadership um, that I've experienced. And um, it, it, you know, I think that companies where leaders are doing that or, you know, government spaces or schools or whatever, and these systems are doctors, you know, where there's a person in power in a privileged position or they have a power differential with the people they're around are allowing that, you know, ego uh, protector we have of like, I'm doing this all right. You know, they're just like, let me be humble. Let me be vulnerable and let feedback come to me. Yeah. Um, that's so I think where healing is, um, you know, and I don't, I think there's so much, um, that, you know, until we hear people's stories and feelings, it's so hard to imagine what someone's experiencing. And in a way it's a form of violence to assume, you know, so if we're not creating a space for someone to tell me how they're feeling about the relationship they have with me. Um, I'm at a, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, so I had, I had this conversation recently with the women in my group where it's like, if I don't tell someone something that maybe is upsetting me, then I'm really disrespecting their relationship and disrespecting that they can handle, um, the feelings and, like when I've found out that someone's upset over something I've done, I'm like, Oh my God, why didn't you say anything? And I just feel horrified and like a fool and like so much shame. But if they tell me from the beginning, it's like, Oh wow. I totally hear you. Wow. I was thinking this, I was coming from this perspective so much. I think 
I think the world would heal <laughs> through is nonviolent communication, which I have learned in the last year. I've taken three classes on it now, and um, it's it's operating on the assumption that everyone is just a being of feelings and needs, and that they are doing their best idea at the time with the tools they have and the thinking and beliefs that they have, and that no one is ever doing anything really not from that place that that we kind of learn well I get this need met in this way um and that just works for me it might be a really dysfunctional way but I've just learned that works you know but if it's like if there's a space for me um to speak to that and and show my feelings and they uh say their feelings and then you try to find compromise uh it's been really healing you know and help me see that like Almost everyone I know that's hurt me is not out of them doing it to hurt me. Yeah. It's that they're just doing it because it's really their best idea. And so that's why I have compassion for men, even though like violence against women is so prevalent. It's like one in three women experience sexual violence or some kind of violence with men. I think, I think men literally many of them maybe some of them have reached personality disorder level where they're maliciously doing something because they're so cut off from their heart but even then I, I question that um I think they're doing what they have what their it's their survival pattern like here's how I get this need met and um it's a horrible dysfunctional way um and they've been enabled I think in many ways um to believe it's okay to exert violence against women um and maybe they're seeing women as not fully human beings in order to do that um but most of these you know cases are in a very nuanced gray area you know date rape and things like this where it's you know um I don't know if I can say most I mean there's a lot of domestic violence and things like that but I mean there's a lot in the unconscious that I think is but I think if we come to someone one of my favorite movies is Dead Man Walking mm. because he's he's done this horrible thing, right? The worst thing you can do. You take someone's life, you rape someone, and this nun comes to him with, with love, just nothing but acceptance and love. And yes, he's going to die in the end, but he is able to face the truth and hold himself accountable and finally confess at the end. And she's, and that's, that's to me, that is the divine feminine is holding that man to like, what is the truth of what you've done? What is the truth of where you are and what you did? And you are not evil. You are not bad. But I need you to own the fact that this is what you did. And I still love you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the healing is. You know, I, 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 I think it's nonviolent communication, but it's also that, like, I still love you. doesn't mean I don't have a safe boundary with you and that I can trust you, but I still love you, even though you were capable of this, that there's a higher universal love that I think is happening in this world, but we keep, we keep down in the ego where we're like, it's you, you, you're the problem, you're the problem. But the more we get that universal love back to ourselves, the more we go inward, the more it's like, wow, you're this man who did this to me. And I, I, I can hold this boundary with you. Like maybe I don't even speak to you, 
Um, but I can still love you and see that that was from your own pain, that that was from your own hurt. Um, and I think once we're, we're given that love, that's, we can heal from that. So I, so that's pretty interesting. So it sounded like you're part of your picture of the divine feminine. I think accurately, like reveals the faults of the masculine to itself. Would the you blind spots? Do you think that's also <laughs> true the other way around? Oh yeah. That the divine masculine reveals the yes blind spots of the yeah. feminine. Yeah. To me, like, okay. Like there's all this written about sacred union. To me, that's sacred union. It's like holding each other accountable for the truth that the other can't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've found that in my own relationships. And it's absolutely feels like such a deep love because they're not falling for my bullshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And And it's like, you know, like if I do something from the ego or from a protective space that's not my highest self you know and my partner says like you know you can't treat me that way you know it it's a love toward himself that then makes me face like yeah I'm dropping to that uh place of uh it hurts the times I've been cruel or hurt people it's hurt me and I think more than (laughs) the way that it hurt the other person like it's a horrible feeling to not treat someone with respect, you know, and in that higher place. So, yeah, I, I think, yeah, we hold each other accountable. And to me, that's the sacred union because you're constantly transforming. You're constantly ascending or transcending your previous state. And it's just like, well, and there's no end to that. Yeah, you 100%. Know? Yeah. I mean, that honestly... I think it was the perfect description of like what happens. But okay. Do you, do you see it like I do that? Like liberalism seems to have an explicit relationship with the feminine and that conservatism seems to have an explicit relationship with the masculine in like conceptual terms, I guess, or how, how would it be? Maybe in approach terms. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, to me, the feminine, like the innate feminine that at least I'm discovering is, is more about this transcendent love, this universal love and like getting, getting everyone to kind of like recognize that from this nonviolent communication way, like that, that we're doing the best we can. And like when I've talked to people who are like super conservative and, uh, you know, don't want their guns taken away, um, I can really hear them out, you know, and to me, it's like, I understand that I don't want to step into the space of deciding how someone lives or expresses themselves. Um, and to me, like, as long as that isn't like hurting anyone, then like, that's, that's fine. But I think on both sides, there's imbalances. Like, so during the Me Too movement, I was so, I felt so, um, I, so much catharsis in that. The women were finally able to speak the truth of what had happened to them. But then the, 
the the effect of it it wasn't held in this higher space and people were canceled and their life was just over and to me that was like to me that's that 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 wounded self um reacting from that wound like it was like retribution you know like and to me like that was really unfortunate because to me the true healing is walking through um restorative justice you know where a man could sit there and say like I did this thing I'm so I I I I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this inner work and I'm going to get these helpers and like talk to therapists and guides so that I never transgress in this way again into someone else's life. And I think, I guess my disappointment is like that more men didn't come forward and just say, here's how I've treated women. I'm horrified. They, it was always like waiting for the woman to come forward and like put them in their place, you know, I would have loved to see men like, actually, this has really illuminated a lot for me in the ways I've contributed to this, and I'm going to get work on this. I don't know if, I don't think men felt safe to do that because of the fallout that happened with Me Too, Um, but I wish that, like, to me, that's the feminine, is like making a safe space for for a man to, because in a way, what women are screaming about is like, I have all this love to give and it has nowhere to go. I love you so much, but I'm so disappointed and so hurt. Um, But if a man like just really was like, I'm sorry, I'm gonna work on this, I'm gonna get these tools so that I can live in respect of other people. The problem is it's just like, it's a lifetime of work. You know, it's not like a man can just like say, oh, my God, I did this horrible thing and now I can just cold turkey stop doing it. Do you know, it's like he has to do a lot of inner work and like get aware of a lot and develop a lot of tools to not repeat that pattern, you know. But so do women of this accusatory. Yeah. You know, we. But I understand where women are coming from because you're just so wounded and you just keep seeing it happen and you keep you keep seeing men in these defensive places like I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not guilty. Like with Johnny Depp, like that whole case, that whole case was a fucking shit show. And I think the opposite of the Me Too movement, it was like this you know trying to balance it out I don't know the details of that case I don't know what went on but all I know is that the effect of that case is that women are now going to not be able to say um I'm a victim of abuse without a lawsuit about it you know it just to me felt like the the opposite of like a like like she, all she did was say she's a victim of abuse, right? Like, and that's what the lawsuit was about. And the thing is, is like, she didn't even name him, but I mean, it was obvious, but it's like women need to be able to speak up about their abuse, but there's so much like that defensiveness of like, you can't even say that is just really scary to me because it's more in that space of disconnection rather than coming to like healing. Like there's no healing between that that whole case you know it's just uh it's just a bashing really ego-based place that felt really just disgusting I think for everybody um 
I mean, that's just my opinion, but like, I guess what I mean is like the, if I look at liberal and conservative, like you're back to your question about like, is one innately feminine? One is, I, I just, I think that there's imbalance to both because, because they're still from this wound rather than what is preferred, if that makes sense. Like, but I don't think anyone has a right to step into that space of telling someone how to live and what laws and things, protections we need in places when that steps into um, infringing on someone else's safety and health and well-being. And so I guess what I see, I see more on the side of the right, more pain that they're causing, I guess, is what I see than the left. Um, but it's just, it's just a matter of what perspective you're looking at. I don't know what you're thinking on, but like I, like, so I'm like real all about like gun regulation. I don't expect anyone to have to hand over all their guns. You know, like that seems like that's controlling and that's stepping into someone's private space, but regulating them, you know, the way we regulate cars, you know, or you know, people driving cars, you know, more regulation, more safety things in place to prevent these things makes sense to me where I'm, I don't think regulation is controlling how someone lives. I don't think regulation on these corporations is controlling how people live. Um, I do think Roe v. Wade being overturned is stepping into that space that's very private and telling an autonomous being, you can't make these decisions uh, based on this way, uh, this ideology. Um, to me, that's a that's that nuanced area where like you you're making a private decision for millions and millions of women that should just be between them and their doctor, um, in my opinion. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to me, it's like on both sides. There's 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 extremes, you know? I mean, I've had students tell me, I can't believe that you uh, had us read this play by a non-binary writer um, who's writing about a trans character. And, they, and I was like, what, what is, what's upsetting? And they're like, well, it should only be a trans writer writing about a trans character and I was like wow <laughs> like that's extreme like that to me is censorship you know because um and this person I think would identify as really progressive and liberal and to me it was like you're stepping into the private space an artist has the freedom to write about whoever they want to write about I I don't have to have the lived experience to write about a man you know um, and I said, you can have your opinion about it. You can have your interpretation of it and you can have your judgment of it. But to say someone shouldn't be allowed to write about this type of character because they're not also identifying as that character. That was, ex- that was very extreme to me. And so to me, that's where it's, you know, like I've, I've heard about, you know, people like no male white stories should be published anymore or have movies about them anymore and to me that's like whoa that's crazy to me that's everything you're fighting against and blaming the other side for you have now stepped into and become that and so to me that whole thing about like bashing men like you're bad you're evil 
there's a man also in me. There's a spectrum of that same energy in me. And so the more I was hateful toward uh, men, the more I'm, that hate in a way comes back at me. So does that make sense? A hundred percent, hundred percent. Just like talking, and I'm like, where am I going? Yeah, but I mean, yeah, there was, there's a lot, still a lot there that I wish, like all yeah. throughout, I'm connecting to things that I want to talk about, yeah. but I'm not gonna like, yeah, stop you from doing your thing. But, um, yeah, like, I do think, I think when people choose a political identity like liberalism or conservatism, what they're doing is simplifying their model for their personhood. So instead of having this balanced male and female thing in them, this yin and yang thing, this, uh, this divine masculine feminine, whatever you want to call it, instead of trying to pursue that balance, they pick a politically active one of those things, either the masculine or the feminine. The masculine, in my view, right now especially, is straight up conservatives and liberals are the feminine. And the, the reason I say that is I believe that they're like, I think the whole liberal ideology right now is based in the idea of benevolent compassion, benevolent acceptance, benevolent, but benevolent, I hope I'm saying this words right, benevolent, um, just like everyone belongs in society in the same way kind of thing. And that like, sh you know, you, the word shame came up a little bit. Mm-hmm. The idea, I think, right now for a lot of liberals is that like things that things that ordinarily we have been uncomfortable with or thought was shameful, it's time for us to play with asking ourselves whether or not it's true that those should be shameful or something. So we're in this territory with them of like what can all what can be permissible or something. The conservatives, I think, for a very long time, their skill, their talent was like holding a shield in front of society and its darkness and its shadows and stuff and being like, no, like we, we keep everything from falling apart or something. Mm. And of course there has to be a tug of war going on between these two, these two spirits in, mm. in a collective society or something. Mm. I think it would be, it goes on in households for fuck's sake. So like mm -hmm. it's going to go on at a large scale too. Um, but that's, that's probably part of why I avoid having an ideology is because I don't want to be stuck in just one of those modes of being mm -hmm. to the degree that I'm fucking foolish, to the degree that I'm like sacrificing truth in some way or another. Because I believe people on both sides of these spectrums are sac sacrificing certain truths. I think the one you just showed us uh, is a great example of that. Like in my, uh, in my definition of truth, it is true that people can use their imagination and they can write about other things. It's my, it's part of my understanding of truth that identity is not real and not significant and not like someone, someone's like sexuality and ethnicity and all this stuff is not their essence. It's not like their creativity or their being or their value. It's mm -hmm. just something about them. That's right. kind of, that's in, that's like unescapable. Mm -hmm. So then when, you know, when you have a group, a side of the spectrum that's making that so primary, I think that's just as wrong as the other side of the spectrum, not acknowledging that some people use those, use those identity markers as like, uh, as, as points against other people or whatever. So I think, you know what I mean? I think that 
I think that that to me is as gross. It's exactly what you just said, becoming the thing that you were trying to protect against. I think that's as gross to me as what if, as if some hypothetical idea of a conservative didn't want someone to read a book about a different ethnicity than their own or right, something like right. that's yeah, wacky. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're all autonomous beings and, and when we seek to control that, <laughs> then we get in trouble. And I don't know if I can say like this party is masculine and this party is feminine. I don't, I, I see what you mean by that. Um, I'm just kind of like not thinking that way, but it, it if, but if I am a little bit, like if, like, because we've talked about masculine and feminine, and like the divine masculine and feminine, like think, you know, these books like um, King Warrior, Magician, Lover, and and uh, and things like that. Um, to me, like what I, how my understanding of the masculine, it should be this protective container, you know, and and in a way, what you were describing about. Uh, the right is like we're trying to we're this protection we're going to hold up those things and I guess like the anger and the betrayal and the disappointment of like maybe the left side and and the feminine is like but you're not protecting me you know (laughs) like but you're not protecting me um and we need to have this different way of thinking of like what are what is it we're protecting for all of us to do and to me I think we you know that we can express ourselves in a new way we can create anything that we we are autonomous beings and we can make these decisions and that the protection is is to not let that infringe on anyone else's autonomy you know anyone else's autonomous being and that yeah like that there were all these souls and we have these different identifiers and quantifiers and names we've given ourselves that take us out of nuance that nuanced place that um we're, the truth is we're, we're much more nuanced than these names and labels that we've given ourselves, you know. I love deconstructionism because it's like, I think that's what we're all trying to get back to as adults, is like get back to that child mind where you see a chair and flip it over and skate with it, not knowing it's a chair. And then someone says, no, that's a chair, and you sit in it, and it's called a chair. And then all of a sudden you're, it's not possibility anymore it's it's what it is you know and that that's I think maybe the nugget of what we've all been talking about is like I like I want to move and I think we are globally moving into more of this way of nuanced thinking of just like of of just possibility and like if we give something a name it doesn't have to mean that that name defines it. I mean, the nature of language and unfortunately does that. But um, I think that's, you know, if we're looking at the spectrum, what I mean by spectrum is nuance that, you know, gender, identity, sexuality, masculine and feminine, um, as, us as creatures is in this, that there's many strategies and we are locked into two political parties Whereas in other countries, there's like, there is more of a spectrum and it's really boring, you know, because it's like so many political parties that, you know, but we are in this very binary, we're locked into binary thinking of right, wrong, good, bad. And we do that internally of like, well, I can't desire that because I was, that's bad, you know, and then all of a sudden 
you're acting it out anyway from the shadow and it's just destroying your life and you're burning it down we've talked about Carl Jung before and the whole shadow side and it's like I I read this book called existential kink where it's about like learning your shadow but then like embracing like like in all the ways we self-sabotage like 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 my show the other night, I kind of, I indulged a little bit. It's like, oh, I didn't say the right thing. Oh, I'm just terrible. And I'm like, oh, wait, there it is. There's my kink where it's like, it's like there's part of us that like wants to like feel bad about ourselves and have pity. And, you know, like, and and she kind of turns it into a joke in the book where it's like, um, like I was always drawn before I met my husband to like the bad boys, you know? And it was just like, that's like that shadow side like yeah just like burn your life down with these bad boys and but it's like if you can like get conscious of it and then play with it it's like yeah <laughs> like the bad boy you know then Ryan has a fun time <laughs> pretending to be an asshole to me and I'm like oh more <laughs> right <laughs> but he's not really the asshole and it's not really destroying my life you yeah. know but I hate saying that word asshole because then I get into that place of like, there's good, bad, right, wrong. The nature of language is binary. Unfortunately, (laughs) I'm, I, uh, how do I say, I don't know what I say. Nuance is cool. I'm having a hard time because as we're talking, it's like, yes, when it comes to political ideas and even philosophical ideas, I tend to always gravitate toward balance and stuff. But, when it comes to like, I also tend to work with the, op- with, with two is it comes, I, 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 this, this, I, this conversation, it hits two walls for me. One is that it's quite noticeable that in society, like society flourishes pretty well with an idea of right and wrong. And that relativism doesn't work morally very well for people's minds. And so like for people's minds, it kind of it's really helpful and functional for a lot of people to to know what they want to avoid and know what they want to pursue and like be able to plug into that secondarily i just think it's interesting that we've been talking so much about the the masculine and feminine thing and talking about it in positive terms but like the like gender also gets brought up as a a spectrum thing that is maybe presumed to be oppressive in some kind of way or something. So that's the two walls I hit with this idea. Cause I think in many ways, I think life is about balancing between two forces in some ways. I think that balance, what, what we might perceive to be balance is actually uh, a relativism. That's like gone amok or something. That's like not consistent with truth or something. Because I think it's this. I just realized this. I think in some cases, instead of striking a, an actual balance between two forces with this idea of nuance, that I, this idea of a middle space, we're sacrificing the idea of two forces and landing in, in a place where we, where we assume that there is such a thing as a, a neutral existence that is not related to these two primary forces. Mm. And I think we can't, I think we cannot deny that these two primary forces exist. Yeah. I'm with you. I was just having this conversation, uh, in an LGBTQ 
a meeting of how to create safer spaces. And I was like, so I'm interested in healing the extremes of the spectrum that I see as a spectrum. I do see it as a spectrum because I see human expression as being very varied. Um, but I think we have moved more into the middle of that spectrum because these two extremes are so unhealthy right now. Um, is that a bug? Yeah, <laughs> oh, is little, it a bee? bee. You know, um, it's there for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you've been talking a long time. <laughs> um, I, I honestly think like, this is a perfect example. Like we need bees to pollinate the flower, you know what I mean? Or, you know, like that flower can't pollinate itself. Yeah. Like I can't make a baby without having an egg and a sperm, you know, like there, there are two, two forces. I, I think they're, I don't think they have to be opposing forces. I think they're opposite forces and we make this dance between them. But I think this middle ground is something I can't deny as something that's natural because I think there's a lot that is just endless possibility in, in humans. But they, yeah, there are penises and there's vaginas and there's this, there's this certain concrete truth about this. Um, but like, the examples of maturity of feminine and masculine have been so imbalanced for so long that I think we've we're moving to all these other options but I but I, I was saying in this group like until these two you know entities heal um no one's gonna really uh be able to enter harmony you know like so like I don't, I don't know how, I know the arguments of, you know, I, I, you know, some extreme Republicans are denying, you know, that trans, you know, exists. And I, and I, in a way I can understand like, yeah, if they're in this thinking of like, well, the body's this or the body's this. Um, but to me, it's just like, it's just another form of living like which is endless you know it's just there's just nothing but possibility in the way you can live your life um and my whole thing is like why even worry about that like why even try to seek to worry about how someone else is living like it just seems so strange to me like to care like that's exactly what a good friend of mine said once about this subject but so I'll voice this and we can talk about this if you want. I don't sure. know if we should or not, but, um, <laughs> we'll just go into the night. And it's like <laughs> Look, I'm just going to, I'll offer this yeah. and I think it's worth it for us to try to explore it to some degree. Yeah. The thing is this, these two sides of this discussion need to try to actually understand what each other are talking about. And so many times I have like, so many times I think the conservative arguments for these things are at least the way that I hear them presented, um, not the way that conservatives actually think. And consider like a good friend of mine once, I don't know, a friend of mine once, <laughs> I mean, I really like him. But, <laughs> um, I won't even be that specific. 
It's over here. Okay. It, it crawled right? under your. Uh, it crawled under your rocking chair. Okay, we'll <laughs> sort it out. <sighs> so, someone I heard, I, you know, sometimes I'll hear it said like, "Oh, re- they, they." I just hear Republicans or or conservatives strawmanned sometimes into like, "Oh, they're just motivated by hate or something," and when you talk to them. They clearly, they have a whole different language that they're speaking, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think the hard part here is for conservatives to really speak, like to express what liberals actually think and for liberals to do the same for conservatives. Mm-hmm. Like say what you're arguing with so mm-hmm. that we're on the same page. And for conservatives, I think like there's two, two, two the two big issues that are really uncomfortable for me to talk about, but like, or it seems like worth it at some point is just like this one, which is for a lot of people for a very long time, like sex and gender have been the same thing. They've not been two different concepts and that gender was not, you know, um, well separate from sex. I'll just leave it at that. And so I think what they feel like they're contending with, is a definition of truth like what is true are we talking about the same idea as true is human identity i think the question that they're trying to get to is is human identity confined by sort of our physical existence like what do these words and symbols and shit mean and are is our sense of identity confined by that in any way i mean if i said i whatever i'm not trying to argue for them but they they can come up with a myriad of examples of they could describe themselves certain ways that aren't like consistent with what we would think of as the as reality and so there's a question there of like what do we do with that does it matter if we identify differently than what some people would say our reality is or something like that so that's what they're contending with on that front and then there's like other fronts (laughs) yeah i mean uh, are you done like yeah um yeah, just I mean, like, um, it is this Louis C. Louis C. K. Regardless of the fact that it's like a horrible idea for me to mention him, but his <laughs> his bit about abortion and shit was mm-hmm. exactly I think accurate. Uh, if you like go back and find that at some point or whatever, it's like you have one group talking about it as a medical thing that women do. You have another group talking about it strictly from the perspective of believing that they're protecting the rights of unborn people Mm -hmm. that's being misconstrued like they're speaking different languages liberals think that conservatives are trying to be evil toward women and conservatives think that liberal women love killing unborn people right it's yeah it's not productive for us to be speaking such different languages about like pretty pretty major shit i guess when it comes like definitions of truth and law you know Mm -hmm. yeah i want to speak to a couple things um yeah, like, I don't think sex and gender has only been one or the other. I think we're just developing names for it now. I think it's always existed that people have felt these different expressions and different ways and that we're just developing names for them. And uh, I think it comes down to that living by like something more uh innate and i think we're more varied like that's just my belief like i just think we're 
or more varied than than um just the difference between a penis and vagina like i i think there is that but i think there's um so many different ways to live that it's just nothing but possibility and endless and limitless um yeah i i i totally the two different ways of those conversations when you look at the history you know reagan you know supported abortion rights until he figured it out as a political tool and i don't think it is a i i think it has become yes about these two ways of talking about it um but that it was used as this amazingly effective tool like i only have to campaign campaign on this issue and i will get this massive support uh based on i'm on this side or that side and that's really dangerous because it takes us out of nuance takes us out of all the the things that actually affect our lives because of some ideological belief about this or that and um to me it comes down to again like that um stepping into that autonomous space of a human being I totally get it. Like, you know, they've, they invented the phrase partial birth of abortion, which doesn't exist. That's not like a thing. They just invented that term. And yeah, that's horrific thinking of, you know, you know, people imagine it really horrific, but I mean, like if a baby is being taken out of a woman's womb, um, late in pregnancy, it's usually because that baby is going to die or because the mother is going to die. Um, it's not, you know, it's not the way they've painted it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it comes down to what arguments can I make once something can step into that autonomous arena? And we, you know, start getting into some really scary territory I would love to sit down with someone who you know believes that we shouldn't allow abortion and like tell them how I feel about that and what what where I'm coming from and totally hear them out it's like yeah like I get it you want that life to be born and you feel like you're doing something really noble to protect that potential for life and I wish we could come to some common ground on that because I see I see potential for life and then there's life. And I think, you know, it's a question of which one are you valuing? You know, and if we look to nature, there's abortions everywhere, you know, everywhere, 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 where, where life is, is the priority over the potential of life. Um, you know, there's all these arguments like it's just a collection of cells. It's not a baby yet and all these things. And those conversations aren't productive because to me it always comes down to like you have an autonomous person who has a very complicated life that I can't imagine. And to me it's just a failure of imagination, you know, because in my family lineage there was an abortion. And because of that abortion, that person had many, many children. And then those children had many, many, many children. And if that abortion hadn't occurred, uh, you know, I think that maybe those other lives wouldn't have been born, you know. And who's to say the soul that would have been in that 
you know, body isn't going to someone else's body, you know, <laughs> like it's just, it's just, it enters a territory of trying to play God to me because a woman back, I mean, this has always happened, you know, that, that medicinally there's plants, you know, there's things that cause abortions that this has happened for a really long time. Um, I'm, I don't know how far they can trace abortions back, but I think they always occurred. And if I try to control that, I'm trying to control that a person has an autonomous decision over that. You know, that they, I mean, I remember being in high school and wondering if I was pregnant, and I knew that there was nothing that was going to stop me from having an abortion if I were pregnant. That there was, I wasn't even, that, that there was just no possibility. And if it had been illegal, I would have gone to any means to have that abortion. Also in my family lineage, someone almost died from an illegal abortion when it wasn't safe. So it just, I just think like, if, if we're talking about that protection, like, are you really protecting the people in this country? No. If you make abortion illegal, I mean, already, <sighs> women who have ectopic pregnancies are not being treated right now until they rupture. Once it ruptures, you can die within minutes. You shouldn't wait. You shouldn't have to wait till it ruptures. An eptocid pregnancy like, literally cannot survive in the body. That, that potential for life will never become life. And, and these laws are so extreme that literally we're not protecting women from something that naturally occurs, you know, because of this potential for life that could never, ever be life. A friend of mine who's like way more like conservative and stuff and religious and stuff, the stuff that she's shared with me on this, because she feels very passionately about this. And yeah, obviously we talk about these things like people talk about these things, despite the fact that I'm uncomfortable talking about it <laughs> publicly. Um, <laughs> well, thanks for talking about it. Oh, yeah. But I'm, I'm passionate. I think we need to have these conversations, I especially want, right now. I want to have them. It's, it's just fucking, you know, obviously difficult, but. Yeah. Uh, especially for me, because I tend to like my goal is to find where people are like where I disagree with someone and like why. And that's what I want to talk about. And for a lot of people, that feels more like I'm challenging them or like trying to tell them they're wrong. And I'm not motivated to tell you or anybody else that right. you're wrong. Right. I'm just like mapping out the world for myself. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, the shit she shares with me uh, seems to put out a message that like those types of issues are not on the table that like no one's getting punished for, um, for saving a woman's life from a pregnancy or whatever for shit like that. And, and even if they are, whatever the case is, I want you to know that I'm like on board with whatever I'm, I'm on board <laughs> with that. I don't want nobody to die. I don't think it's worth it for you to, for, uh, I'm not of the position that somebody's like putting their life at stake for some of this shit. What I'm interested in is the conversation, not even a position, because when it comes down to it, every time I have to talk about this, the fact is I could never make the decision that I would take that ability away from somebody. I just right. couldn't do right. that. Like, especially in most, like these situations that I can imagine, like young girls or victims of abuse or different things, could not take that away from them. Yeah. But I'm interested in the conversation about 
how honest we can be about what it is that we're doing. Because I believe what we're doing. I, like you said, I can't stand people who rely on the term or the phrase cluster of cells to make this simpler to talk about. Right. Because it's not simple to talk about. What we're really talking about is whether it's appropriate to like control the population or control women's like reproductive health and stuff. Right. Through the cost of terminating people that would otherwise be born. We are talking about doing away with those potential lives. Hmm. For me, all that matters is if we're going to talk about it, if I, if I have this conversation with people, mm-hmm. my goal is for us to at least be able to acknowledge that that's what we're talking about, that we're talking about terminating lives for uh, like intentionally. And can't, well, like, we could at least acknowledge we usually don't do that. We usually don't like, we usually don't terminate lives for any reason. But in this situation, we have figured out that it might be necessary. And I think that's, that's okay. It's okay that it might be necessary for us to like have that on the table, talk about it and all this shit. I'm for all that and for figuring that out. But I, I just like, I just can't make it, I can't make it sound like it's better than it is or something, you know? Right. Yeah. To me, like to me, what everyone's uh, belief is about abortion doesn't really come on the table for me. Like to me, it like doesn't even matter what anyone's beliefs are about the abortion itself. It's more about you don't get to enter this private arena of someone making this decision because it's too complicated. It's, it's very nuanced. It's, it's, there's so many factors. There's just a lot going on, but my me, I mean, my personal beliefs are that a woman's body is her own and she has the power to create life or to not create life. And that is a power that I think scares a lot of people. But that is the power that women have. We have the ability to create life and to not create life. And that is something that we are in control of. And people have labeled it as right or wrong about whether a woman doesn't have a baby or not. Um... I had a miscarriage in 2010. I know you know about it. I've talked openly about it. Um, I grieved that as a baby, yeah. as a soul, you know, I would never, ever, you know, wish that on anyone. But at the same time, like I knew that I really wanted that soul to be born into a human body, you know, but if I didn't, no matter what the reason is, you know, whether it's because I wanted to focus on my career or because I just wasn't emotionally ready or because I wasn't financially prepared, um, you know, that's a decision for me to make, you know, if I didn't want that child, um, I think it is my decision. You know, I do think it's the woman's decision. I don't think it's not the man's decision, too. I mean, I do think it affects, I think, yes, ultimately it's her body, but I would hope that whoever is the, you know, penis-bodied person that is involved, that it would be a discussion and a nuanced thing, and they could discuss it. Um, But because ultimately I think it's two people that make a 
life and that, you know, they walk that path together and, and either case it changes their life forever. Um, so yeah, that's my personal belief. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the arguments I have with people, I would love to sit down with someone and just say like, okay, so if you can make this decision for me, I'm actually uncomfortable with you doing this. Um, would you be comfortable with me, you know, coming into that arena in your life? And, and I mean, we're seeing that, you know, the threats of what might happen because of this decision and what logically you can argue if you, if you enter into the privacy of someone's autonomous life, um, and control it. I think so much of this is in the unconscious, like, like a fear of, you know, not, you know, not being able to like acknowledge trans or acknowledge another way of living or acknowledge that a woman does have this power is something in something connected to the unhealthiness of the masculine that, that, that we, we don't have a mature masculine leading the country ever in our history I think I think it's been mostly immature masculine maybe not I don't know maybe not as far back but like like I just think for in my lifetime other than maybe Obama Obama seems like a mature masculine to me and he upset a lot of people on the left that he wasn't more progressive um, because he was trying to listen and we see what happened with that because he was in an unhealthy system. Wait, um, can I ask a question real quick? Yeah, yeah. Your tone when you said mature masculine was the same as when you said progressive. Are you saying that there's a similarity between progressive people and the mature masculine? No. Okay. Okay. I don't. I don't think. I don't think we have many examples of mature masculine where they're really like in service to the protection. You know, I think there's. I think there's a lot going on. I think I disagree, but but continue. Yeah, you were I'd on love a roll. to hear. <laughs> I I know that's such a global statement, and I hate making that. But I guess when I look at like leadership, um, there's just so many men. Like even the healthiest, healthiest men in my life don't listen to women. Don't listen to what we're actually experiencing all the time, and can't put our put their. Um, selves in our shoes like I know what it's like to be pregnant I know what it's like to almost like die from being pregnant um because I had preeclampsia with my son my kidneys are still not functioning properly that and that might affect my lifespan you know what I mean like I know what it's like to sacrifice what I want like for my own body, for another life. And it's huge, you know, and it affects your life forever, forever. And I just think that, I just think that what I believe is a patriarchy, that that power is threatening to men. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I do because there is something to a lack of really being nourished by the feminine too by everyone like I think like we're not none of us are really being fed by the feminine 
Because if we were really fed by the feminine, I think we would have someone in our life like Susan Sarandon and Dead Man Walking that will love you and accept you no matter what. And I think we all feel the conditioning of, of this way of thinking of like, you can do wrong and then I cast you out. You know, and I, and I know boundaries are necessary, but like there's so much conditions around love. And I think that's kind of the root of everything that's the problem. And women feel that too. And there's a defensiveness. Against, like, like when I have a, maybe this, you know, vision of, of this amalgamation of like a right wing man telling me I'm a murderer if I have a, an abortion. Like there's this really deep part of myself that wants to know that I am trusted and that I am loved in being human no matter what he thinks I do, you know, or labels me Can and I that it's my it? right. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, oh shit, we're, well, we, we got to wrap up soon, <laughs> I guess. But. <laughs> I know, we're just endlessly talking. Going, I love it though. I know it's great. It's and I think this is really good for us to be doing. Um, another thing I think I feel the need to voice in these com- in this specifically this abortion conversation. Yeah. Everyone I know that is the most adamant about in opposition to abortion is a woman. The people who absolutely do not want it the most are women hmm. in my life anyway. Mm-hmm. Also worth noting that. I got like my rural family, my like more conservative family, way more matriarchal than other people I know. So like these things, this, the description of the world that's often given to me, I just do, I don't see in real life a lot of the time. Mm. Uh, And I think it's worth worth it to mention that I have the same nightmarish cartoonish visions in my head of the GOP that you probably do. Like the New York Times cartoons. Like that's what the GOP is. But really there's also like, there's like, I've, I can't remember the way that the demographic broke down, but I think it was like, I think liberal women of a certain, I think college educated liberal women are the only demographic that is majority uh, based on some shit I saw like two weeks ago. I might have this totally wrong, but they might be one of the few demographics that are like majority unanimous on this point. Mm-hmm. I think conservative women might be like split on it, but mm-hmm. all that to say that I don't think there's a men versus women issue, which I think is something you already said in this conversation that it's not like men are men have a part in this conversation too. And I don't think it's just like the Republican men versus women on this. I think it's like, it's bigger than that. And mm-hmm. I, and I still say the those women who are, who don't, those women in my life who don't like it believe that they like they don't like it not not because they don't want you to have autonomy they believe that they're protecting the autonomy of this other person this second person and i know that that i don't know if that's true i don't know what the i don't know what to say about that but that seems to be what they think yeah yeah i mean i would i would i would tell that person that i get it you know, like, I do understand that that baby would, you know, that that pregnancy would be turned into life and that that would be a person. Mm-hmm. I understand that. And it's not like, I don't, in some ways, I don't know my own personal feelings about what I would experience if I had to get an abortion. I think I would be devastated. Mm. You know, I think I would grieve it. And I think that women who get abortions 
experience a life altering event, Yeah, you know, that they grieve. And if they're not grieving, it doesn't mean that they're a terrible person, you know, but that it is, that it is a, a, a decision they don't take lightly. And that I think most women just never want to have to go through that, you know. Um, I think legislating it is the problem because it's just such a, a such a nuanced thing. But at the same time, like women are controlled in a culture like this by having children and then no support for to have those children. Mm-hmm. There's not many supports in place for women once you have a child. I, I've never felt so alone in my life till after I had a child. It was just those cast off. Fuck fuck you, raise that kid and figure it out, you know? Um so that's that's the hypocrisy of it for me. It's yeah. just like, okay, well it's like if you if you really care about life then care for the the life once it's born, you know, and really support women to, uh, it's, you know, data, there's a lot of great data on this, um, that the more women are supported in choice, uh, the fewer abortions there are, right. you know? Um, so keeping it legal, keeping it safe to me is about protecting women and supporting women. Um, yeah, I mean, I would never want to go through that. Spiritually, I think of it as this. When I had my miscarriage, that birthed me. That experience birthed me into a mother. Mm. And if I had had that baby then, that child would have suffered a lot. I'm not saying that's not a reason to live. Um, <laughs> but like a woman's path is her own. And I guess that's what I mean about a failure of imagination. Like, I needed to be birthed, you know, and that's what ended up happening. And I think that would have happened if it had been an abortion. If I had gotten pregnant and it was just like, oh, my fucking God, I've got to make this decision. Oh, this is terrible. And if I had made the decision for an abortion, that that catapults me into the maturity of consequences, you know, when I talk about my family lineage and there's an abortion, that person still grieves that abortion that was, you know, forever ago. It's not like it's this easy thing for anyone. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think, and that's what I mean about sitting down and having a conversation. It's just like, man, I hear you. Like I get it. It's that's what a horrible thing that anyone would have to do at the same time. You know, I've witnessed people have babies that they didn't want and abuse them and, you know, really hurt them. And, you know, there's villages in China where they don't have access to abortion and they literally cannot feed their other children. So when that baby's born, they drown them and they don't think of that as murder at all. They're like, I'm saving my other children, you know, so. You know, it's just, it's so nuanced, but to me, it just, it just, to me, it's just like, I want to have those conversations so they can see that we're not just like, I'm just going to use abortion for birth control. And like, it's nothing. Um, I don't think anyone's really doing that at all. Like, I know that's their fear. Um, I just, I've never had anybody in my uh, experience, like, thinking of abortion that way. Um, I think everyone's always thinking of it as a really serious thing and this is really hard and I don't want to make this decision. Um, but I don't see a way out. 
Um, and I just think we need to support women and that woman does have a say about her life. And I think it's part of patriarchy that we don't give women a say about how their, their life events are going to go. I get the argument. I see where those women are coming from. Um, but our oppression is very much ingrained and we uphold a lot of it. Um, I've internalized patriarchy more than I've realized and a lot has been illuminated to me about how much I've internalized misogyny. I feel it all the time in my own judgments of myself. I feel it all the time in my own judgments of other women. Um, I'm especially provoked by women who are really comfortable with their sexuality, you know, uh, like in being erotic outwardly. And that's something I'm exploring in myself and having a lot of fun with because whatever I'm being provoked by is probably something I've repressed. And um, I've really found the roots of that in patriarchy and misogyny and like me being taught to be small, to stay quiet, to not show any lusty erotic sides of myself because that might mean this about me. I know we're getting into other territory, but it's like, to me, it just comes down to that's a private space between a woman and her self and her doctor and her partner. And it's not a space where we can legislate that, you know? I understand <laughs> that perspective and I understand the other. And so I don't know. I yeah. don't know anything any more than before, but, uh, <laughs> but, but that's where I remain and yeah. it's okay. Like, and yeah. I disappoint a lot of people for that and that's fine. But I, I don't know anything. I, what can, I, do you, can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. Do you acknowledge the, the, the danger of it being legislated? Like yeah, the, the slippery slope of it? Yes. Okay. Like when, especially if we're defining it as human autonomy, yeah. Then if, if it's defined as that, then it's fuck no for me. But <laughs> if it, yeah. if it, if we're talking about if the autonomy belongs to the unborn person, then it's a, just a fucking problem. So that's the problem. But to me, like that, that doesn't have autonomy yet. Like an, an in utero I get that because yeah. it kind of doesn't technically, but yeah. the question I think that was bet like I, I heard it from someone else, from some thinker that I used to admire a lot. Do, and his thing, his question was, does an unborn person, is an unborn person protected by the constitution just like a born person is? That's a question. I don't fucking know the answer, but I think it's, it might be, if it's possible that it's yes. If it's a person that's going to be a person. Mm-hmm. Do we do we acknowledge their rights in the same way that we would a, a, the average person? Well, um, there's not my there's somebody else's. Right. I mean, <laughs> I don't fucking know. I mean, you know, like I've been around enough pregnant women where things would happen with their, you know, uh, future child in 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 utero, and that per, you know that that baby was protected by the the hospital staff, you know, um, 
but when a woman says, I don't want this child that would, would, whatever we want to call it, baby potential for life, um, that that then is protected over that potential for life. Yeah. So if the constitution is saying what it says, mm-hmm. then to me that's protecting the the woman. It does apply to her for sure. Yeah. The, the question is just whether it applies to an unborn person or not. But if a woman doesn't want that baby, I guess is what I'm saying, then that constitutional right is infringed upon if you take away her right to not have that child. Potentially. I think that's <laughs> that's a, that's a, the argument we could have to explore because I don't fucking know. I think that's right. probably true. Right. And that's that's the thing. That's why I say it is what what we're talking about is like whether we whether it's okay to whether it's okay to terminate lives right i don't accept the premise that it isn't a life yeah like to me i go into more of the spiritual unseen place when we're having this conversation yeah that this is like a failure of imagination like because to me like my belief is that that soul isn't attached to that matter oh interesting yeah that that soul is going to come and that it's going to come in the body that comes. It's so weird because the Christians feel totally opposite to that. And yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. To me, it's more like, um, so this person I speak of who had an abortion, um, they truly believed that soul ended up in their life mm-hmm. and that, and that is the belief, you know? I mean, that's cool. I, I don't yeah. think of it in soul terms. And I haven't, be, I mean, like, it's only more recent that I even will use the word soul, like in, 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 in a conversation, you know, yeah. uh, for me, it's a lot more law. It's like, what does, what do laws do Yeah. and who do they protect? Right. Uh, and that, and again, I'm talking about this conceptually because yeah. when it comes to application, I'm not really going out there with like signs being like, this is my opinion publicly or whatever. Right, right, I, I'm yeah. just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in support of this being a complicated conversation. And in the meantime, I'm in support of people, you know, kind of like assuming that people do need autonomy and that like we do, like I, like I said, I wouldn't take that away from someone. I wouldn't think that I could because I do believe that people have and will find un, like more unsafe solutions to these problems. And so, I get that. I'm not trying to make things fucking worse. I'm just saying like in, in in my brain, when I engage in this conversation in a serious way, do I think that there's a problem here? I do think there's a problem with the idea of whether it's a life and whether it's protected and also like a problem of limits or something. Like I definitely wouldn't, I'm not somebody who's like just whatever you can imagine doing like, do I think, do I think if a, if a woman, a nine month pregnant woman is murdered, do I think two people died? Yes, I do. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I don't know if I'd say that about someone who's, you know, 
eight weeks pregnant. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I don't think that way, but, um, but yeah, totally. Nine yeah. months. Yeah. Like once the baby can survive out of the uterus, uterus, you know, that to me, that makes sense. Like, and I, that's the thing. Like, I think if we could have like a, re- you know, just like a unheated, regulated conversation, I think everyone's nervous system gets dysregulated so quickly. <laughs> Mine really does. Uh, I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> no, it ain't you. It's just like, I don't talk to people about shit no more. So yeah. 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 So I think we get dysregulated and when we're dysregulated, literally when our nervous systems are dysregulated, we can't have a productive conversation because yeah. everyone's like defensive and it's not. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I think if I sat down with someone and heard them out, like, here's your worry about this. I'm like, yeah, like it's my worry too. Yeah. That is a concern, but here's, here's my other concern, you know, how, you know, what's the common ground. And to me, like when they were making limits on, on a, on abortion timing, you know, like when that was going on, if I knew it wasn't to progress toward overturning Roe v. Wade, which I think it was, it was just like this incremental thing that happened to, to try to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, if I knew it wasn't that, and they were like, you know, we all sat down like adults and it's like, okay, like abortion's going to be, you know, totally a safe thing for women when they do it. So they're not doing it themselves and killing themselves. Um, and we understand that this is a part of, you know, being human cause we can't control that. Um, no matter my feelings about it, this happens. Uh, but we're going to do our best to like give women support to have all the choices and, and resources they need, um, so that they can have joy in their life and follow the things they need to follow, uh, for what they're here to do. Um, you know, and we decided that, you know, at this such and such time is when this decision needs to be made. You know, I, I honestly would <laughs> probably not have a problem with that, but because I know the effort to limit it, the was to overturn Ruby Wade and make it unsafe. Like, no, I don't feel protected in that. No, I don't feel respected in that. And I can't, I can't agree to those things, but cause everyone's in their defensive mode and I have to protect myself too. If someone else isn't going to protect me. Um, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I just know that about myself. I totally would have done something dangerous to not have a baby, yeah. um, if it had not been legal, um, if I had found myself pregnant as a teenager, definitely. Yeah. I just know that about myself. So my right, my life was not protected, um, uh, if I had been a teenager right now, um, mm-hmm. in another state. I mean, luckily it's still safe in North Carolina, but, um, yeah, it's a... It's coming to a head, you know, I think that things are really transforming, even though there are all these efforts right now. I think things are really transforming to have these conversations because I think people are sick of the of of the disconnection, you know, I'm honestly like, I'd love to have those conversations. Yeah, I mean, with this nervousness that I came into this conversation with, it's like, I've, I've had a couple podcasts that I don't really usually listen back to the podcast, but I have memories of them and I've listened back to some of them and sometimes there's missed opportunities to have these conversations. And a lot of it is about me not wanting to reveal that I'm not really down with just like the, the, what feels like the singular minded movement that we're experiencing I think as a, like, as we part ways, it's sort of like, it feels like liberals are going to their camp. Conservatives are 
crawling into like their shadows and everyone's getting ready for civil war or something. And it's yeah. like not good. And for me, my great thing, the way it makes this so hard is like feeling like, uh, as at, just by engaging in this conversation with you, I'm, I'm almost sure that if like, if certain people in our town saw it, that they would be upset by the fact that I was like expressing, trying to express with some legitimacy, a position that was counter to the most popular positions among mm. them. I don't like that feeling and it's not my nature to like go with the flow. Like I, I want to talk about the complicated parts of this. It doesn't mean that I'm motivated to be an asshole. I just am trying to figure shit out a little better, you know? And honestly, that's what I mean by that feminine. Like what I see as the feminine would be you feeling safe Mm. to have that and that you are loved and you are not going to be cast out or rejected Mm. for exploring these things. And I think if we all could feel that safety, then we could have those conversations without the defensiveness. Like, I think we're all so defensive because it's like we're so trying to protect these sides of ourselves of how we're looking at the the issue. Um, and yeah, I mean, like if I were looking at it as like protecting a baby, like, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I would I would die for my children to protect right. them, you know, Um but I'd also die to protect women, you know, so I'm looking at it more from there because of the way I, I think of it as, as crossing into this private space that you cannot legislate or it's the government is stepping into a territory that is a slippery slope toward fascism, in my opinion, you know, um, to controlling us in other ways. You know, we, I just feel like the government should be there for protection and well-being, um, and I get that they're trying to do that for the, for for um the unborn um i get it i get it um but i think in my opinion we have to prioritize you know the citizens mm-hmm. um but yeah that that love to me is where that healing is is like that's why i love that movie <laughs> going back to that movie because it's such a great example of what I mean by it because I can be very judged by saying no these people that are hurting so badly need love because that might be interpreted as like not having boundaries with them or enabling or you know condoning and it's like no (laughs) that's not that's not what I'm saying you know yeah if someone is unsafe from their destructive patterns and they can't control them then yeah I need a really intense boundary with them but it doesn't mean I have to hate them and because if I hate them then it hurts me you know what I mean and it's like I need to get to a loving place of understanding the foundation and the root of that pain that's causing them to be so destructive um so I think if we have that that I think that's what we've buried I think that's what's oppressed about this yin energy, this feminine energy, that both parties, that that all these moralistic ways of thinking are absent of right now. I think I, under, I understand what you mean a lot more now than I did uh, in a, in the early part of the conversation. Like I, yeah. I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. Same with the earth, you know, like that, you know. Like, in a way, would you say that this version of, like, the way that, say, the left on the spectrum are expressing their opinions and stuff, that that's, like, a, a similar toxic masculine in the same way that the 
that is on the right. Is that kind of what you're what what you might say? I mean, I, I see the toxic masculine as um, kind of like a self-interest, you know, feeding a self-interest. And I, I, I think we all have that in our shadows. But, like, I guess from both political parties, I don't think we're thinking of it that way. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think it's coming from the wound. I, f- I think it's coming from this reaction of, like, what I haven't, had you know so I think like women's let's say rage at men and like men suck all men are inherently dangerous you know I think them saying that is coming from I have been hurt so much and I've never seen anyone take accountability and my perspective is that this will never get better until um, these people are punished and shown as examples of what not to be Um, and I get it because we just walk all over people and some, you know, we do that. Um, but I think if a man stepped up, (laughs) I just am craving that. I'm just so craving a man to understand, oh, wow, like I've totally been, these systems in place have benefited me and I'm seeing that and the way I treat women I'm realizing the hidden misogyny of that and coming out and being really open about that and saying and being strong enough to face whatever wrath came their way as a chance for for the other side to show I have loved you like I love men and I've pointed out this is what you need to take accountability for and you haven't but then once you do take accountability like oh my god thank you thank you for stepping up and taking those reins that I've been like screaming at you about um that's what I'm not seeing very much I feel like there's a lot to deal with there because one I'm definitely aware of a lot of people online men in particular this sounds a little sketch. I don't know if you'll be on board with this or not, but men in particular who kind of, they figure out that that's an identity they can take on mm. to be accepted by women. Mm. And so they do that and they like, Oh, it's not really from a, it's not from a, no, it's oh. not from a sincere place. And mm. I don't know that they know that, but I can tell you that people like myself can see it in other men. Um, and can see when they're they have that glimmer in their eye that's like this is how I will seduce them or mm, something and like it's, it's still from a sinister place. Y- yes it's like <laughs> oh this is like a way easier way um, to get women to think that I'm like acceptable and like I should be chosen and all this stuff is by just doing mm, the thing like like being like oh yeah I'm a fucking I'm such a piece of shit misogynist is crazy like I'm the guy um, kind of the same way like we use the word allies yes <laughs> like how people are like I'm an ally but it's still in a but, self-interested way yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess what I'm craving and maybe what I hear LGBTQ and BIPOC craving is like risk as much of, as I risk to protect these to protect humanity as one 
Yeah, so then there's still <laughs> there's just so many problems with because some then of you're stuff. still identifying that way. Well, not just that, but we're assuming that like say one black man's experience is the same as another. I know a handful of like super conservative black men that are like so not down with this language. So like, it just depends, and we probably can't solve it all right now. But I think on the, I think across the board though, this is a racist, sexist country. I, I can't even can't say give that. that. No, I can't. Because, like, <laughs> I don't believe the country is a personality. I know, but I guess what I mean is that the, the, the messaging, that once it all accumulates, that it... What is messaging? Like, what I mean is, like, everything you're experiencing, like, from, from everyone in your life, from teachers, government, doctors, people on the street passing you by, that, like that like I know that my male friends don't fear for their lives walking in the dark to their car the way as prevalently as women do. I don't think that's shaped by America in any way though. Like do you think that women in other countries also experience that? Yeah, but I think that this is global. Like I think we're I think well, that then just to answer I wouldn't describe that as I would describe that as a problem that affects women worse. But do I think that's sexist as in attributed to malice? I don't think that that's that's I think of sexism as an as something that's in an attitude that is intentionally like cruelly biased against women. See, I think of it as I think of it as that, but I also think of as unintentional. That we are I, I behaving in ways that is unintentionally sexist and unintentionally racist, that we are blind to the ways we uphold the roots of what this country was, you know, based in Puritanism, based in, you know, patriarchy, based in colonialism, based in slavery. Those are all still veins still running through that affect us in all these little myriad of ways that contribute to. This is my problem with this idea. Yeah. It's an idea I've tried to express to many friends. Maybe it isn't useful, but I don't believe, like, what that makes it sound like is that our problems of the modern day were born somewhere between, like, 1600 and 1800. I believe our problems, as far as sexism and racism, started way further back in our species. Oh, me too. So, like, our species is the reason that slavery existed. Slavery is not the reason that racism exists. Well, I, I totally agree with that. Like, I think it all, like, we just developed these words for these things, but that this is all stemming from way back. <laughs> like, and, well, if we're talking about, about way it. back, that's, for me, more productive, because then we're talking about a problem with biology, and we're with natural selection, and with nature. And we're both talking as people who, like, have this appreciation for nature, trying to have this really positive right. relationship with nature. But we also have to acknowledge nature produces some awful shit and like produces some murderous animals and we're one of them. And yeah. so like we can't act like it's all perfect. And and I, for me, the root of racism, the root of sexism, it's, it's so not mysterious. The fact that men and women are different and have these different problems and like almost hate each other, but also like love each other and need each other. Yeah. It makes so much sense. It's beautiful in a way that yeah. the idea that women do get to choose which men are worth a fuck, I think is kind of awesome. But 
do I think it's because of society that these problems exist or that they were born from society? No, I just think society does not know how to get rid of them. And that seems to be what we're frustrated by. But like, I think they're because of nature. Yeah. I mean, I think of it biologic, like I don't. Okay. So to me, it's like, I'm thinking of just my contemporary world, you know, Mm -hmm. as how I'm thinking about this, but yeah, I mean, if I go back, I think this is all stemming from, um, survival in the earth and that the differences that we had with other humans way back, uh, were based on survival. That if someone came to try to conquer this land because it has a river and this water source and, you know, this food source, um, that that came out of survival, um, that any differences we have, um, and all these issues, yeah, came out of survival. I think we're in a situation where we're about to have to deal with survival, like mm. with climate change in a similar way, um, where resources are going to be running out, you know, and it's going to get going to get real. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you could probably stem all these categorical ways of that we think about these problems between people has coming from limited resources. Um, yeah, I, I think so. And survival. But what I, I guess my hope is that we're looking for different strategies so that we can protect the well-being of all people, you know? And we all just have different ideas about that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Different moral makeups and stuff. Yeah. I really think that... Um, something you said about the shadow and stuff plugs in. Like I, I, uh, I had written this once in a thing and I remembered it when you were talking about the shadow and the way that it expressed in the way that it isn't, I can't talk the way that it is expressed (laughs) in political identities. And I really believe there's something to this idea that like, there's like a naturalistic assumption that we are animals And for some reason that's expressed as we need to perfect life as if we're more than that. Hmm. And then for Christians or whatever, the people of traditional religions, there's this belief that we're made in the image of God and that we have to maintain our lifestyle as animals. Like these things don't seem to match with each other. You would think that someone who believes that we're made in the image of God would be the people saying, look at all these like scientific things we can do and look how we can make abortions safe and look how we can really like manipulate all of nature to be perfect. And you would think that people who think that we are animals would argue that we should live like animals, but it seems to me like it's the other way around. And I find that, well, I find that to be an expression of whatever it is that the, that, that each individual person, what, whatever they live primarily and whatever it is that they're suppressing. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, ultimately we're creatures, but yeah, I mean, we still have different ways of like, yeah, expressing that creature. Yeah. And what I was talking to a drummer recently and he was really like wanting to move away from morality. Like he almost sees like morality, like this ability that we can label right and wrong is kind of the root of the problem. And it, that was interesting. Um, Cause it k- kind of entered me into the space of just like, well, but what about safety? And what about, you know, like, <laughs> and to me, I always go back to like truth of like what actually happened. Like, 
uh, for me to, to, I don't even think of like good or bad or right or wrong, like, but is something, do we have all the information of what actually happened? So then we can look at this and not about morals, but about like, what is my reaction naturally to this by having all the truth of the information? Do you know what your definition of truth is? Yeah, I've been asked that a lot. To me, it's the truth of what actually happened. <laughs> so, like, it's it refers to the past? Like, so, you know, like, let's say I'm talking to a friend, and they give me information, and I'm like, okay, that's what happened. And then I find out from, you know, a picture that actually, here's that story wasn't the truth and here's this photo of what was actually or video or something of what actually occurred or like you know like what a police officer how they would describe a shooting and then you see the video of how the shooting is like to me it's like what are the the details and facts of what actually happened and to mm-hmm. me that's the truth for instance like i think there's been a lot of women in you know marriages where their husband is cheating on them and they don't know that. And so they're operating from information that is not all the information. And then they find out, oh, hey, your husband's been having an affair the last five years. And then they have the truth of that information. And then they make a decision from that information. I'm, I'm very much concerned about do I have all the information? Like, to me, that's the truth. I don't know where I stand unless I have all the information. You know, um, so that's to truth to me. (laughs) Do you seek out information like, you know, based on, I mean, and I'm not, do do you seek out shit that is like counter to whatever, like some of the shit we've been talking about tonight, it's like. Mm-hmm. obviously we've been talking about two different perspectives of it and yeah, yeah. you sound like you're really in touch with one. And I was just wondering, is that like, how do you go about trying to collect all of it? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's something I can't do with these huge things cause I don't have the time, but I, but I teach classes, you know, I teach right. classes and I have to do the research on that information. So yeah, I taught a gender disparity class. So I'm just like, okay, I need to find out how many plays in the United States are produced that are written by women, you know? And so we have those numbers, and it's about 23% of all plays produced in theaters across the country, 23% of them are by women. That, to me, is the truth of that information that tells me a lot about, uh, you know, there's a lot more women writing plays than are being produced, you know. Uh, that's good information <laughs> that helps me understand the truth of where we are in hearing women's stories in the theater, you know. So that's mm-hmm. what I mean by it. But I can't, I mean, I, in my own personal life, it's, you know, different. You know, my son says, actually, you know, I tripped and... <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, okay, you know, and that's how the marker got on the wall. All right, you know, (laughs) but I know that uh, he probably, you know, marked on it, but I can't know. I can't make any kind of decision until I know the truth of the information about 
are you do should should you be given markers can you be trusted with markers did you really trip and that made this mark on the wall you know <laughs> um so yeah I try to not make any decisions so I have the truth of the information <laughs> gotcha <laughs> but I think we're denied a lot of that information to where, and we're making decisions based on limited information where we don't have all the pertinent information I'm sure yeah yeah, yeah. but well yeah and it's so nuanced you know we uh didn't like talk about music at all um i know well to me this is what i'm way more interested in talking to like the person about life so this is great but is there like anything uh that you want people to know like i wish we could have did this before your show i guess but (laughs) i'm really like I love Patti Smith. I think I've talked to you about Uh her before because of her talking about like everything from your life and your history will eventually kind of come together in the stained glass window and make this unique light that shines that this color of light that shines through the window. And I feel like I'm in that space. So I made that film last year with the last album where I danced and I wrote it and all these other parts of myself got used. And I feel like I'm in that spot of like, like when I had the show the other day and I'm just singing on stage, you know, three quarters of me in a way feel underutilized as an artist because I trained as a dancer. I trained as an actor. I went to school for writing, got my master's degree in writing, um, and then came to music after that. Like there's just all these parts that I feel like I'm in this messy compost of them of like, how do all these pieces fit together? And I feel like they started to fit together in that film. Um, But I'm also, I've taught at School of the Arts the last 13 years, and that's part of this. And then the wilderness connection feels like part of this. So I'm working on a project that I mentioned briefly at the beginning of this conversation about kind of recovering what's been lost of the earth, this relationship with earth, but also what might be this innate feminine or yin that I think is really foreign to us still. Um, That if I, if I can, what is that art object that can bring all those parts together that my hope is would be really illuminating to what we've been cut off from, um, from a more earth-based, survival-based life that I think we're going to need. <laughs> that is fascinating. <laughs> that, that creates a lot, of, uh, a lot of longing, a lot of anticipation. Yeah, so I'm working on that. Yeah, that's big. Um, so I'm really trying to just like be patient with that. I'm not a patient person. So I'm trying to see what comes out of that. But I have some things cooking. But yeah, I, I kind of don't want to talk about because it it's still just like yep. this. I don't know what this is, but it's going to involve music, you know, and it's a lot of expression in these different forms I just talked about. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in not just confining myself to music. Yeah. Yeah. I also have one. I think our memory card filled up, so that's okay. fine. Um I also have one that's in the in the works, so I hear you completely. Um, yeah, it's good to let those things marinate a while before we. So yeah. So we'll let the we'll let people remain curious. 
I think we went over two hours. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> do you edit it or you just let it go? Uh, you just let I it do. Go. I I usually edit it, but this yeah. one is going to be a little different, which I'll explain in a second. Okay. I'll do a sign off here, but uh, thank you, by the way, for doing this thank with me. Thank you so much. All right, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs>